Episode, you get an episode, you get an episode, add it up, 197 more of you get an episode. Whoa. Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> Everybody gets one. Wait, wait, wait. Ah. wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um. <clears throat> yes. Free dictionary. <laughs> the free dictionary.com defines 100 as adjective being 10 more than 90. Wow. One hundred. Oh, I thought I thought I thought you had something else there. No, I just wanted to make sure everyone knew what we were talking about. Yeah, I mean that's always a good thing when you're doing your one hundredth episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they've gotten to a hundred. Let's just put it down, put it on the shelf, and then go do another project. But no. Yeah. Yeah. We're just getting started. We truly are. We were just truly talking about what we were going to do for episode 200. And let me tell you, I didn't think I'd be sticking around for 200 episodes, but I'm pretty sure I have to now. Well, you're very excited about episode 200 before we even finish episode 100. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were very excited about episode 50, 50 Years of Poe Boys. Oh, that was a good one. As people are aware. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, where we went back in time over the last 50 years that the Poe Boys have been um, just shakers and movers. While Pete was in a location that he could not speak loudly from. Yeah, that was really embarrassing. Um, Oh, boy. Yeah, I really did Um, not enjoy that at all. Episode 100, 100 Star Wars ever. 100 Star Wars ever. In honor of Poe Boys being... The best Star Wars podcast, alive or dead. Dead or alive. Dead or alive, breathing or dirt. Uh, We are going to give you, the listeners, um, a list of 100 Star Wars ever. Yeah. 100 of them. And these these are 100 Star Wars that have Mm -hmm. been closely and um, meticulously curated for your yes. listening pleasure now we've listen star wars goes multiple multiple decades all right yes they yes. made movies they made books they made video games Shoes. okay so Toys. we can't moments we are going to choose a hundred star wars ever ever this is the definitive list all right we don't yes. need to go to rolling stones top Artists of all time, or Wikipedia's, or VH1's. Star Wars 100 ever. Yeah, or um, Wikipedia's most viewed, or Mm StarWars.com top Mm -hmm. 10 clones. Podbean, most popular Star Wars podcast, Alive or Dead. You should actually, if you're listening to this, Poheads, if you could, you don't have to, but if you could like us on Podbean, that makes our numbers go up, but that's besides the point. This is a definitive list, all right? Yes. There is no coming back from this list. No. By the end of this list, you will say to yourself, yes, this was and is 
100 Star Wars. Ever. 100 Star Wars ever. All Alive right. Alive or dead. Alive or dead. This is you're gonna you're gonna take this information and then when you get in debates with other people, when you get in arguments with people about Star Wars and they're like, oh, but this, and then you'll say, yeah. Hey. Oh, but that. But 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 however, au contraire. 100 Star Wars. Poe Boys, episode 100, 100 Star Wars. 100 episodes, 100 memories, 100 friends. Let's not do Let's not do memories. Oh, we're doing memories? 100. Oh, by the time that this episode gets out, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. There's no, there's no way that it couldn't be because we are skyrocketing to the top. Yeah. I'm trying to look at... I'm looking at my list. We each came up with 50 Star Wars ever, putting them together for 100 Star Wars ever. If we have an overlap, we're going to have to freestyle and come up with extra Star Wars ever. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking on my list here trying to figure out what a good one to start off on is. Oh, um, okay. So we're not just going straight down. Okay. This is going to be very convoluted, but... We can. No, I no, no. I wrote no. mine down, unfortunately. I, oh, I, I have an Excel doc. Nice. So, so you can sort it A to Z. Yeah. Oh, Ideally, A to Z. we both would have done that. Or, you know, it's 100 Star Wars ever. 100 Star Wars ever. Ever. All right, I'll Whatever start. Okay. All right, and this is mainly because of the overlap and how I want to say I beat you to it. Oh, no. Yeah, so we're going to go one or we're going to go 100? Uh, great question. Let's go 100. Dang it! All right, then this one doesn't make any sense. And look, well, they're look. not. We they're not. Look, ladies and gentlemen, this is just 100 Star Wars ever. You will note they're not ranked. They're yeah, not but this seems this seems. If I put this person as 100, I'll feel bad. So to start. Well, no. Okay. Number, let's, right. number, let's start at one. No. Oh, let's start oh, at one. At one? This is okay. the 100th episode, so we should build to 100. Yeah, we're gonna. Let's, let's start at one. Okay. Number one. And I'm I, not editing this out of the podcast. Number one, Ahsoka Tano. Ah! Yep. On my list! Obviously on your list, Ahsoka yes. Tano. Tegruda yes. was thrown into yes. Clone Wars, the movie. Everybody yes. was like, ugh, oh, I don't snip. like this. Ugh, ugh, ugh. a female Jedi. Ugh, snips. Oh, girls. Oh, girl. Anakin didn't have a Padawan. Oh, ten years later, Ahsoka lives. I can't believe yeah. Rosario Dawson is Ahsoka. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> because Ahsoka is fantastic. What a great character. One of uh-huh. my top characters of all the time, and a lot of times, too, you're like, you like the kid actor, but you hate the adult. Or you like the adult actor, but you hate the kid actor. All right? Right, as a, as a character grows, you as, mean. As a character grows. Mm-hmm. Case in points, um, Will Whedon, Wesley Crusher. All right? I hate him in, in Star Trek, <laughs> and then I hate him in um, everything else. Okay? That's a great <laughs> example. So, but and it a, wouldn't be the 100th episode of Poe Boys if Pete didn't find a bridge somewhere to burn. Will Whedon, don't come on. I know you want to. Don't come on. So, Ahsoka, I mean, the craziest thing about Ahsoka is that there's just been this evolution of, like, fans hating her, then loving her. Yes. And you've seen this character go through a bunch of trials and tribulations, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very bummed that it, it looks like we're going to see her die in The Mandalorian, so... <laughs> super excited for that. We'll see. We haven't... We'll see. All right, yeah, but... Dave Filoni's Twitter account begs to differ. Yeah, oh, I, thank God. All right, I can't handle that. Um, like, people are talking about Rosario Dawson, but I'm like, is she going to die in this? Are you, Is he going to make me watch her die in live action? Is that what he was waiting for? <laughs> I can't handle that. Uh... Yeah, I would just add that um, my the the most intense my Star Wars fandom got was as an adult and going into college and getting into Clone Wars and stuff. And Ahsoka's character arc um, over the course of the the time in which she's been uh, a character and, and existed in the Star Wars universe has kind of uh, my following of that character has coincided with my maturing as a human being and. Um, becoming hopefully slightly less of a dumb white guy and and things like that and it's just yeah I've said it before on the podcast but my uh, I don't know ah- Ahsoka Tano is one of the more fulfilling characters I the most fulfilling character I've ever followed in in any medium and I just it's um, I look back now on such fondness with those episodes where she is sort of a snarky teenager and I love what that brings to stars as a whole and what that brings in terms of nuance to uh young jedi and young people being brought into a time of war and things like this and just the way that the character has matured and her place in the galaxy has expanded and how ashley Eckstein has been interwoven with that and done such a great job of being an advocate for her character and for uh, women and everyone in fandom in general just oh my gosh when she came back on this arc of clone wars i was just oh my gosh and uh, this is not. Don't worry. I've found ways to get more Ahsoka on this list. So. Okay. Oh, so it's gonna be like the one time Ahsoka fought an Inquisitor. The one time Ahsoka got her two lightsabers. It's gonna be a time she lost her lightsaber on the train. <laughs> Do you want that to be two? No. Okay. All oh, right. Okay. So I gotta pick one now. Uh, I'm gonna go with Gendy Tarkovsky's General Grievous, which is. General Grievous, as he appeared in the original 2D animated Clone Wars, done by Gendy Tarkovsky, the guy who did Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory and things like this. Um, that was my first introduction to the character because those little shorts aired before Episode 3 came into theaters. And uh, I have no problem with General Grievous. I still like that character. But in that miniseries, he is actively frightening. And there's a sequence with some Jedi trapped inside, like, I don't know, some giant seashell or some craziness. They're trapped in a very small structure, and Grievous is outside, and they can just hear him stepping around out there. And they know, like, this guy means business. He's, he's coming for us, and this is bad. And it was frightening. And it was great. It was, what a great introduction to that villain for me. And, uh, again, I, I don't have a problem with him elsewhere, but that character never hit those heights again for me. It just, it, he wasn't as intimidating due to the fact that right. the Samurai Jack Clone Wars just overpowered everyone. And it just hap- so happened to also make it seem like General Grievous was somebody that, you know, nobody could actually take on. And yeah, uh, that's. And I think the big thing in hindsight is in Genny Tartakovsky's, the Jedi are afraid of him. Yes. And their fear becomes your fear. And he's never again treated as something to be feared. Mm-hmm. Granted, 
when we see him in episode three, we see him with our main characters that right. have right. not been put into a situation like that. And the one yeah. character that kind of made them vulnerable, Dooku, gets dispatched within like the first, you know, five, seven minutes of that movie. That's a good point. Yeah, they beat Dooku before they meet him. So be feeling pretty good. So <clears throat> this one, and it looks like you went very specific, which is going to be a little bit problematic because I went general well, in a lot of cases. Over. So number three in Star Wars, Star Wars is yeah. Star Wars Legends, and just oh yeah, that's pretty broad. <laughs> that's pretty broad. Um, if I had to pick one specific thing, I was just talking to. Um, my sister's boyfriend who is rereading all of the... Oh, Peter! Why does Peter keep talking about his sister's boyfriend? Oh, Peter probably made up his sister's boyfriend. Oh, duh, duh, duh. my name's an idiot. Who wrote that review? See that, you see that you're still in a good mental place after that episode? I don't care. Yep, okay. And um, we were talking about... He's rereading the New Jedi Order, which is the... So that's Jason and Jaina. Jason and, and Jaina and the Yuuzhan Vong. And I was telling him that my favorite Jedi, like, I really enjoy a lot of the Jedi from that whole that period. Um, and there's one Jedi in particular, which is Saba Sabatine. We talked about this character like four or five episodes ago. Who's the lizard, the lizard um, is a brabble and is the Jedi that... Oh, it's pronounced Babadook is the Babadook, and as the Brabble, do not insult Saba Sabatine, please. And Uh-oh. as this Jedi, she's the one that trained um, Leia to be a Jedi when she decided to become a Jedi in the Legends, and when Luke, in a couple books, like is no longer fit to be the head of the Jedi Order, she takes over. Um, but I think they did a real... they. Because they were not as bound to, you know, George Lucas and to, you know, they weren't bound to Disney whatsoever. They were able to do a lot of bold things that I don't think would translate to movies or TV very well. But Mm. um, they did go very deep into certain Jedi. And um, I mean, there's like 21 in that one series. I read like 17 of them. And it's also an interesting thing. You know, I think it's probably unique to a franchise where you have these legends and then you just completely disregard what is it 20 years of storytelling and then and then um completely start anew i I can't i can't think of another well um it sort of happens in reverse with the marvel cinematic universe oh oh, really kind of because the marvel cinematic universe is is not at all a one-for-one adaptation of uh, Marvel continuity and Marvel comics. It happens in comics constantly. Yeah. Where they will have big line-spanning events that that kind of re um, rehash the history or change some element of it or let them set the pieces up the way they want and get rid of uh, inconvenient continuity and things like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel yeah. I, I may or may not have a piece of Legends coming up here at some point. Okay. Um, number four. Number four. You know what? Let's just go along with this. I have a piece of legends I would like to talk about. I'll talk about that now. Tales of the Bounty Hunters. I believe oh. it is by a guy named Kevin J. Anderson. 
I am going to find that out for you right now. Um, but it is. A, I can verify it. Kevin J. Story. Anderson. Great. It's a book of short stories about each of the bounty hunters on the Bridge of the Executor and Empire Strikes Back. And yes, on one hand, you do have a story where Dengar asks Boba Fett to be the best man at his wedding. <laughs> but that's great. But it sounds like a robot chicken story. Boy, does it! I that almost made an appearance on the list. Um, uh, the first story in it is about IG-88, and IG-88 is my favorite Star Wars character that's not uh, a serious Star Wars character, like Ahsoka or something like that. Uh, and it's about, you know, IG-88 being built, uh, gaining sentience, and being four assassin droids with sort of a hive mind, and where each of them go and end up uh, throughout, you know, Shadows of the Empire and Empire Strikes Back. And the story culminates, uh, spoilers for Legends, I guess, with him plugging into the second Death Star uh-huh. and essentially the second Death Star becomes his body. He becomes the sentience behind the second Death Star Den- like a second before Wait, it's Dengar blown. does? Or... No, IG-88. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was... Dengar's never done anything. Um, I think Dengar gets like killed by like a new bounty hunter in um, the new canon books. That's, uh, yeah, there seems to be um, an implication that Dengar may be a character in the background of Rise of Skywalker, based on the Visual Dictionary. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so that short story specifically, and I, I really hate to say it, I do think it may have been called "I Kill Therefore I Am." Uh, okay, which would be which would be enough for me now to not read it. Uh, Especially since you but, don't read. Uh, you know, I'm reading more and more, but not Star Wars. Uh, I think that is the only one. It's one of the only full Star Wars books I've read. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Tales of the Tales of the Bounty Hunters by Kevin J. Anderson, coming in at number four, top hundred Star Wars ever. Number five, Star Wars Celebration. Um, we went to. We've been to two Star Wars celebrations. This is more specific. You just made it Star no, Wars. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Um, this is the Star Wars celebration set. Um, interactive sets. So what I mean by that is when we went to Orlando, there was fan created sets. So like we we oh, went yeah the photo yeah, op things. We went to um, we yeah. we were in the trash compactor and they gave us you know um, the like metal rods to try and you know um, yep. do that and then um, in Chicago they created was it a Swedish group or I, oh, I'm gosh, yeah I it was a European Star Wars fan club they recreated the Millennium Falcon oh the interior yeah yeah boy we got some primo yeah photos and that's yeah those are a blast and, those are a blast and i thought that they would just do the same thing over and over again so like i was actually expecting for us to do another picture in the trash compactor but mm-hmm. it seems like they you know we're gonna hopefully go to celebration in anaheim this year mm-hmm. and um that's something Who that's knows? something i really look forward to and that's something that being in those sets i think is a really really cool Thing. If you're mm-hmm. ever thinking about going to a Star Wars convention, 
Um, that is definitely one of the highlights of it. I wouldn't say that you're yes. going yes. for it, but it's definitely like there's never like a huge line for it. Um, you can take some. Well, it's always worth it. Yeah, I I look back very fondly on those photos, and we always it's it's one of those things where you kind of get caught up in the oh my gosh, Mark Hamill's here somewhere, you know. But the the small like you wait in line, and then you know you and I got some great pictures, and they yeah they're 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 really fun. I mean, it seems like something very simple, but boy. I look back really fondly on on that. Uh, on my on my desk at work, I have like a tack kind of bulletin board built into my desk, uh-huh. and um, I just print out pictures and put them on there. Uh, and the only picture that is not of you know me with family or my girlfriend is me and you in the Millennium Falcon set with me acting like sad Luke and you consoling me. <laughs> really? Well, I, I also, yeah. um, I mean, we saw, Great we, picture. we saw each other, you know, a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. there is a picture on your fridge, which is you with job of the huts where yes, you are my girlfriend very much likes that picture for some reason <laughs> where you are just um laying sideways and uh, oh, yeah. posing yeah um posing with um job the hut so that is something that um i really enjoy about star wars number five yeah number five so number six let's stick with celebration here and let me just find it on my list so i can cross it off uh, but this was a particular moment that's indicative of kind of a larger thing that I love about Star Wars, which is I got to go to the panel for The Mandalorian at Star Wars Celebration Chicago. Right. And um, it was a cool panel, but I got to say one of the coolest moments was the Mando Mercs were there. And the Mando Mercs, similar to the uh, Rebel Legion, I believe. In the, or Re- Rebel... Gosh, I can't remember the name of the good guys. There's a 501st... I want to say it's the Rebel Legion or something, but it's essentially there's a there's a group of people who dress up like Star Wars bad guys, and they go out for charity events and visit children's hospitals and things like this, and go to parades. And there's a group that dresses up like good guys in Star Wars, and there's a group that dresses up like Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. They're called the Mando Mercs. They were in attendance um, at the Mandalorian panel. They weren't allowed to come in in costume, but they all brought their helmets. And the sheer excitement that that group of people had when they saw like a picture and footage. From the Mandalorian, because you know their their whole vibe, their whole costume is based on, you know, what fifteen minutes of combined screen time between Jango Fett and Boba Fett, maybe. Um, and to see this thing, like, and they, they have such a passion for it, and to see it finally get blown up, and Mandalorian and big letters, the freaking thing's called Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and they went bananas, and they're like fist bumping their helmets into the oh, air really? and stuff. And so when and their their excitement was just. Like, as excited as I was for the show, I saw them, and I was just like, I felt like I was watching a kid at the best birthday party they've ever had. And it just felt so nice to see these people so happy about this thing. And when a bunch of Mandalorians end up showing up in an early episode of The Mandalorian, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, those guys are going bananas right now. They're losing it. Uh, And that enthusiasm... Um, and positivity and just wild rabbit excitement. It's the same sort of excitement I felt when my hairs were standing on edge, standing on the floor, watching the Rise of Skywalker trailer for the first time, even though I couldn't hear a word of it and was looking over people's heads and shoulders. Um, That excitement is something. And it was really, I think, exemplified for me by the Mando Mercs at the Mandalorian panel, Star Celebration Chicago. 
And so that is my number six Star Wars ever. All right, and my number seven is uh, continuing on with Star Wars Celebration. And I, I, I want to say um, one of the things about Celebration, and they tried to get rid of it, um, and they did a much better job for Chicago than Orlando, is they tried to get rid of the Lions. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of... Like, is there a line that I really enjoyed? And I would I would say that the first day that we were at Celebration Chicago, where you and I both mm-hmm. had our po' boys sweatshirts on, mm-hmm. um, waiting in that tent for that, like, 20, 30 minutes and just kind of looking around. There was, like, a Twi'lek next to the first Yeah, the first line, yeah. And there we were in that, like, um, auxiliary tent, and there mm-hmm. were there was like a Twi'lek and a family that was um, around us, and then um, there was just um, all these people that are just like like buzzing at the seams um, to get in there and so so excited about it. So that mm-hmm. is something that um, I distinctly remember, and is my number number seven. Okay, and that was definitely seven? Yeah, you're on. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Moving along here. Moving along. Let's find a quick one. Uh, Finn running. Gosh, just anytime he runs, specifically in Star Wars Episode Seven. There's different types. Kylo... There's different types. Oh, yeah. But when Kylo takes Rey away, and he runs at her so, so fast, he throws his weapon away, and he just runs. He screams, Rey! He's running. Oh, my gosh. But then... When he goes back to the resistance base and BB-8 runs away and he sees Poe and him and Poe, oh, and he runs, oh, and they run each other and they hug. I get chills. I get chills. John Boyega runs so good. He does it again in episode nine. He runs after Ray and he goes, Ray! And oh, then it, him and Poe it's, it's run a gallop run, run too Star because Destroyer. it's like he like sets oh. his feet firmly and then does the run and then he goes, Ray! Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like he has to he has to ground himself because he knows how good his yell is. Yeah. And if he doesn't have the right footing, he's gone. Yeah. I mean, I mean. Gosh, gosh. He he gets it. Ugh. All right, he gets it. John Boyega is a true prince. All right, so That's my number, number nine, and you're gonna let out a groan for this is. Um, I got a cocked and loaded. Star Wars merchandise, specifically, <laughs> specifically Star Wars dog toys. There yeah. we go. So, um, it's been well documented. I have a dog. He's a brown cockapoo. Oh, Pete! Oh, Pete talks about his name dog so much. Named after dog. Chewbacca. Oh, Pete, a dog. And whenever I have the ability to, um, and just basic facets of having a dog, dog food. Uh, they don't have Star Wars dog food, but I have a Star Wars yeah. leash. Um, there's Star Wars um, collars. There's baggies. Star Wars baggies. I haven't gotten the baggies yet. But then there's just Star Wars toys. And it's just so funny. Like, there will be times I've probably purchased, I don't know, $80, $90 worth of Star Wars dog toys for my dog. He doesn't use them. Um, he'll play with them a little bit. Um, but at Celebration specifically, they have, like, Star Wars dog stand. And nobody goes to it because, you know, not a lot of people um, have animals or whatever but it's just so cool seeing my dog with a lightsaber and just 
playing with a lightsaber. <laughs> um, sure. And also just the like seeing like a chicken eat chicken where I he just plays with Chewbacca toys, beating the crap out of Chewbacca <laughs> toys. Um, chicken eat chicken. Um, I, I it's a cool it's a cool aspect of Star Wars and it's definitely a part of Star Wars that has um, directly impacted my life outside of you know the TV movies etc. So cool, in fact, that you buy regular Star Wars toys to give to your dog. Let's not get into that. All right, people are going to get upset. All right, uh, that's number nine. <laughs> number ten. Let's do a quick one here. Hello, Asti. You know, the weird little cowhead guy in uh, Force no Awakens. There's no damage. But no, no damage. damage. And he gets blown up. Uh, it's a bummer. But he goes, uh, but, but no, no damage. damage. And he has one other line, and I don't remember. And for me... It doesn't appear that it has taken uh, hold with the rest of the Star Wars community, but uh, but no damage is my... There's a trap. Love it. Uh, rest in peace, Elasti. Also of note, Poe Boy's Twitter account did get a fave from Mark Hamill. Last year, over my birthday, I watched Episode 7 and Episode 8 back-to-back. I tweeted a picture of Luke looking very grave at the end of episode seven, and I said, uh, Luke Skywalker over here looking very bummed about the death of L.O. Asti. And he, and he liked and that. And did, in fact, get a fave from Mark Really? Campbell. Yes. And I will point out that I'm just now remembering that and it was not part of influencing my decision to put L.O. Asti as number 10 Star Wars ever. All right, um, let's do a quick one for number 11. Um, Great. The lack of teleportation in Star Wars. I'm currently watching <laughs> The Next Generation as I binge my coronavirus, and they transport mm-hmm. and teleport everywhere. It's very annoying. In Star Wars, you run. <laughs> all right? Finn, he runs. <laughs> Only way to get anywhere. Everybody runs. Run. All right? There's none of this, oh, energize. Oh, energize. No. All right? So the <laughs> Trekkies out there, listen, I get it. All right? I'm watching it. I like it. But in Star Wars, we run. We use the force to move things. Excellent. I'm going to come in here on number 12, and I'm going to make a brief statement, and then I am not going to extrapolate on it at all, and we're going to move right on to number 13. Um, number 12. Pokemon! knows the truth! Knows the truth! Pokemon! Number 13. Uh, number 13. Qui-Gon Jinn. Ah, is that one of yours? No, no. He gets it. Um, he yes. is, you know, when people they hate on episode one, and they hate on the, you know, I'm not gonna feel the fire. But one thing they never hate on is Qui Gon. All right, they love yeah. Qui Gon. I love Qui Gon. I mean, his, like, mentor is a little messed up, but you can't pick your teachers in most instances until you get to college. So I can't really knock him for that. Um, You know, he tries to make Obi-Wan appear less of a dweeb 
and it takes Obi-Wan, you know, a good little a lot bit. Of difficulty doing he, that. he doesn't pick yeah. great winners. Like, I, I wouldn't say him picking Anakin was, like, the best decision out there. Well, hear me out on this, though. I will say, Qui-Gon Jinn is a character I, I loved since I first went to see Phantom Menace as a kid, and I remember being very distraught that he died, and that Darth Maul died. Or did he? He didn't. Um, but I, I think one of the... Growing up... And watching these movies again and again, you get new things out of them every time. And one of my favorite parts about episode one is Duel of the Fates. And the thing that unlocked that for me was the track title, Duel of the Fates. And the fact that it culminates in Qui-Gon being killed. And Qui-Gon Jinn is like, Pete, you could probably speak this more than me, but I think you have teachers. You have some teachers um, that teach to the to the test, that teach to the answers on the scantron. Uh-huh. You know, and then you have other teachers that understand that while that's what they have to do and that's the law of the land, that that's not necessarily what's the most beneficial to the kid or whatever. Um, Qui-Gon Jinn is not a Jedi who teaches to the standard, who, who teaches to um, the standardized test and things like that. Not to say Obi-Wan necessarily is, but had Qui-Gon lived, had Qui-Gon lived, he was a Jedi with, I think, a more nuanced understanding of what ailed the Jedi Order at that time. Uh, and I always wonder, you know, had, had he lived, he perhaps, I think he would have been more understanding of Anakin's plight uh, growing into adulthood. Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably the case as well. So I, so I don't think he necessarily didn't know how to pick him, but because he wasn't around, I don't think anyone else knew how to cope with okay. his picks, kind of. All right, so number 14... Number 14, I'm just writing all these numbers down because I know we are going to get lost eventually. Let's stick around with um, Phantom Menace here. I'll say the Jar Jar Binks action figure, which I saw along with the Battle Droid action figure in stores long before I saw any preview or the movie The Phantom Menace. I just had these designs. Oh, really? Jar Jar Binks oh, what's your design. What's your next Battle one? Constable Zuvio? Oh, God. Love Constable Zuvio. Oh, and he does actually appear for like a split I've never second. seen that. Um, oh, it's it it changed my life. It's right. crazy, but it he, he's in there. I um, I'm but we're 35 minutes in, and um, I'm yeah, gonna, I'm popping 14. some bubbly. It's it. Don't worry, it's sparkling water, grapefruit. All oh, right, go so that's for it. I've got to celebrate. That's what you're hearing. Time. This is episode 100. 100 Star Wars. Continue, Josh. Is a, hey, cheers, buddy. Um, I think not having context for the movie, not knowing what the battle droids or Jar Jar would become, not that there's any issue with that or whatever, but just um, that speaks to, I think, the imagination that Star Wars can solicit from viewers and from fans. And when I saw, when I just saw Jar Jar Binks, when I just saw the battle droids, you know, I was like, oh, Jar- oh there is- he's like a lizard Wookiee. He's going to be like a lizard Chewbacca. And the oh, Bad my Wars, gosh. They like skeletons, and they look scary. What if he was? They that that would have been so cool. Yeah. yeah. The battle droids, to me, looked infinitely more terrifying than the stormtroopers and stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I remember seeing those action figures, and it just it got my imagination racing. And I, I think that's, that's something that Star Wars does very well. So... Jar Jar Binks action figure coming in at number, number 15, Rogue Squadron. Ah, the game or the concept? Um, 
If you have one of them, I can say the other. Okay. I have neither. Yes. And... Well, I have the tattoo, but... <laughs> Um, I originally, uh, you know, uh, us being 30, um, Nintendo 64 was a big part of my childhood. I had Rogue Squadron, the video game. Um, I, you know, flew multiple missions with Wedge and Hobby, even though Hobby was utterly worthless in, um, my missions at Corellia, my mission at Hoth, etc., um, it was the game that I always wanted where you're getting to, you know, go outside of Yavin 4, you're getting to go outside of the Battle of Hoth and see what Rogue Squadron would be doing. And it's a game that I mm-hmm. wish, you know, we got Black Squadron, which we're not going to, yeah. I mean, the best that you, we can really, you can really do is on, in Battlefront, there is, are some... And let me tell you, look, I can't speak for everyone, but I mean, I, you know, I play a freaking video game or two. Piloting the ships in that game, oh man, it just makes me angry. It's in Battlefront or um, oh, Battlefront yeah. Two, yeah. Maybe, maybe I need to mess around with the settings on the controls, but it, yeah, it, I stopped, I stopped playing the free DLC for that because it just got so frustrating. Yeah, and also, I mean, we also grew up around a time where like Star Fox was a really big thing. And just the there was this sense of like adventure and placing your imagination, placing yourself in that situation that I really enjoyed. Not that I would ever first person any driving game ever because that sound that's very dumb. But oh, you don't play GTA Five? Um, no, it's called my life. And anyway, oh boy, who am I kidding? I've been in my house. Socially oh distancing for like three days. Don't, Don't gate no, the episode. No, no, no. All right. Um, number sixteen. Number sixteen. Here we go. Here's a little idea of how my list is. Uh, number sixteen, Star Wars ever. Uh, coming up with character names of Star Wars characters that start with every letter of the alphabet while you are working out or going for a run, so that you do not go insane from going for a run. Uh, I used to go running around a lake, and it would be very boring, and so to pass the time, I would try to think of a Star Wars character who's started with every letter of the alphabet. I would either pick first name or last name, and then I would go, How'd you do, and X? I would do that. Uh, X? Oh, gosh. Who even... I don't even remember Because the only one point. I can think of is, I don't even from know. Legends, Qui-Gon's um, apprentice that goes dark, Xanatos. Oh, Xanatos, yeah. eh? I guarantee you I had an, an X, a go-to. Because when you get to letters like that, if you even try once and you fail, then it's like, well, I got to find one character that starts with that. I unfortunately don't have an X off the top of my head right now. But let me tell you, and sometimes it'll be like, okay, now I'm going to do it with Marvel characters. Now I'm going to do it with Tolkien characters. You trying to pass the time while you're working out and stop yourself from going crazy? Hey, A to Z, baby. And that is my number 16. Number 17. Very quick, very quick. Ryloth. Not. Not. What? <laughs> <laughs> Literally any planet. I hate that planet. <laughs> so number 17 is every other planet yep. but Ryloth. Great. Great. All right. Let's keep it going quick here. Number 18. The Ackley. It's a prey mantis monster from episode oh, two. Yeah. And hey, that thing slaps, baby. <laughs> 
with those I'm a crab. I'm and a gray mantis. I got a big the, weird head. You can tell that they put so much money into it because they have never even attempted to recreate that in any of the um, animated series or live action. Well, to be fair, they never attempted to recreate the Nexu or the Reek either. What's up with that? They're not not, tr- not true. The, the Nexu um, was in the Bounty Hunter video game um, all the time. Which is uh, that? That was one of my uh, that. I, you know what? <clears throat> Dang it! I didn't even think about to add that. And then the Riku. <laughs> um, that's all. The uh, the, the Riku. They had a different breed of it in the Mandalorian. The yeah, mud the Mudhorn. Yeah. They're like very similar in nature. Okay. Yeah. So, number 18. Number 19. Way, number 19. Going with one that you're going to have. Kanan Jarrus. Mm. Not on my list. Really? All right. Well, I guess, but I I guess got you, something close. I guess you're happy that I did the, the easy ones because if we had done this list and not included Ahsoka or Kanan Jarrus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. It's, again, 100 Star Wars ever. Kanan Jarrus is a great pick. Yeah. Doom. What a, what a great character. Frey Prince Jr. does such an incredible job with that character. Uh, and the places that character goes and the conflicts that character has. And the, the background, like the comic series background and yeah, yeah. the book that introduces how Hera and Kanan met was um, relatively entertaining. Um, New Dawn, I believe it is called. And... And listen to the audiobook of that. He's the high. I mean, Ezra has actually grown on me through my rewatch of Rebels. I'm not. I'm. Yeah, hey, it makes one of us, baby. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Kanan was a highlight of Rebels throughout. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, are you good with that? We're yeah. good to go to number twenty. Number twenty. I say number twenty. I'm gonna piggyback right off that. Uh, Vanessa Marshall. Who voices Harrison Dula and kind of a, uh, a two for one for number twenty here or yeah number twenty here. Um, I don't watch a lot of animation, but I mean I've watched all of Clone Wars, I've watched all of Resistance, I watched all of Rebels, I watched Batman anime series stuff like that. Uh, Vanessa Marshall's performance as Hera is just this transcendent thing where I am mystified and just believe that the voice is coming out of the animation. There is no gap between her performance and the animation of Hera. Which is it which just, is crazy it, because her that Vanessa Marshall has like done some iconic roles too. Like right, she's not a right. person that only this is like her one thing. Like Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. You can't I can't name. I'm sure he has done some roles outside of it. I couldn't name what he's done in animation outside of Kanan. Right, whereas Vanessa Marshall is, I mean, she's a voice actress. She has she has a, a very impressive long list of, of characters. I mean, if she's going to a convention and you and you read the breakdown of what she's done, it's 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 very impressive. But her performance is Hera and the character of Hera. Um, and I remember when Rebels first started, before the show came out, they released little snippets about each of the primary six characters where they had the cast and crew kind of talking about the characters. Uh-huh. And my girlfriend and I were watching them because that was when my girlfriend still tolerated watching um, animation, Star Wars animation and stuff. We watched the Clone Wars together for a while and she kind of got off it. She never got into Rebels. But uh, in the little snippet, 
introducing the character, one of, one of the people said, like, oh, she's like the mom of the ship. And my girlfriend, I think rightfully so, uh, found that a little reductive and kind of rolled her eyes. I was like, oh, yeah, I know where this is going. Um, and it very well could have. It very well could have gone in that direction of her being the doting kind of straight man authority figure, but it didn't. And that character and Vanessa Marshall's performance of that character are just incredible. I, yeah, and her and her and Frank Jr. together, her and Kanan together, just, oh my God. The, the affection I have for that character and those characters and their the performances, ugh, beautiful, beautiful. Number 20, Vanessa Marshall. As Harris into So, number 21, um, not great to come after that little um, shout-out to Vanessa Marshall. Uh, number 21, Star Wars Resistance, Team Fireball, after Tam leaves. I think that's really when the, the, the team really got into it. Um, it's when I started liking Niku a lot more. Um, <laughs> Yeager was always my dude. I feel like he... Forgives people a little bit too much with what his brother ended up doing to him, but the team I really, I mean, I really enjoyed everything in season two of Team Fireball specifically in what they would be doing. So like Niku and Kaz infiltrating a First Order ship um, was highly entertaining. Um, the episode where. Niku is tricked into um, reprogramming some battle droids. Uh, all of those are huge, huge highlights. And I think we, if we go, if you go back in, you know, this hundred episodes of Po Boys, I trash, 100. I trash Niku a lot <laughs> because I really. But now you just are trashing Tam instead. Yeah. Um, Great. But that's because the story progresses, right? Tam, cool, and then not so cool, and then you're dead to me. And oh boy. Niku, like, beat it, nerd. We don't want to interact with you. Oh, cool. Oh, that's pretty cool too. All right, Nico, you're one. Of, you're you know you're part of the squad now. So number number twenty one, number twenty one, Star Wars Resistance Team Fireball minus Tam. Thanks. Thanks for making sure you burn a bridge on that one. I'll stick with that. Number uh, 22. Ah! Christopher Sean's efforts. Uh, efforts are when, in, in voice acting, when you have to do, you know, grunts or get hits or have an accident or trip, you know, the noises you make when things happen to you. Christopher Sean, Azkazuda Ziono, boy, oh boy, when he trips or falls or gets clonked on the head. Ah! <laughs> ah! Ah! I, brilliant. I cannot imagine how difficult it must be to record efforts as a voice actor. I think even if you have, you know, a great voice and the drama and the emotion is there, to fake, like, being bonked on the head or, like, how do you act like, okay, and now, you know, you get conked on the head and then you slip on banana peel and what does that sound like? Whoa. But, man, Christopher Sean just does He's a treasure. A good job. Yeah. And the animation is there to match with the physical comedy of it. And it, oh, mwah, mwah. Chris Rashad, that's me making a kissy, like, mwah, with All right, the hand I'm uncomfortable. All right, so, um, yeah. well, 23? Yeah, I think so. 23. Um, the, the auditor for the Death Star plans. The 
auditor. Yeah, he he or she did a terrible job. All right, next. <laughs> the auditor. Yeah, you have to audit when you you audit plans. You know, you make sure that everything's verified, and clearly the person that was auditing. Um, the Death Star plans didn't see that there's the giant hole that would lead to the core and blow it up. So, so, so okay, so Imperial quality control. Yeah, the Imperial quality control. The person auditing the Death Star plans. That is technically 100 Star Wars ever. Yeah. And as I am like to do, I'm gonna piggyback off that boy, bad boy, for number 24, um, the Rogue One Death Star ignition sequence, which is this part in the film where. Jin Erso receives a message from her father, Mads Mikkelsen, one of my all-time favorite actors, delivering a monologue to her, explaining why he turned himself in, why he agreed to work on the Death Star, how he snuck this flaw into the system to be exploited, and all this is being intercut with the Death Star being powered up to be tested on Jetta City, and just his performance, and um, Jen so responding to it, and it's just an incredible piece of filmmaking. Very beautiful, very emotional, fantastic, fantastic, great moment. And continuing on with a quick one, um, number twenty-five. That's sweet. Quarter of the way there, sitting pretty at fifty that minutes. Sweet, sweet calf. Um. Oh, what a pick! Did wow. you? Wow. No! Yeah, that sweet, sweet cat. Wow! Um, oh. They love it. Brilliant. And that Sweet, sweet calf, man. In Star Wars, they also love just taking names, and they're like, oh, um, the character has to go to the bathroom. What do we call it? Um, room bath? <laughs> oh, no, that's not right. Um, the pump and dump? Oh, no, that's not right either. No, no we're gonna my call God, you refresher. can't say that. <laughs> so, that sweet, sweet calf. Excellent. Number 26, Lando's Hawaiian shirt that he's wearing at the end of Solo that they sold at Star Celebration and I could not get. It's yellow. It's got weird little gliders all over it. Donald Glover looks impeccable in it. I would look terrible in it. I'm almost positive yellow is not my color. Boy, oh boy, does it look good on Donald Glover. And boy, oh boy, would I have bought it at Star Celebration. You were bummed that you, were, you weren't able I... to get it. Oh, super yeah. bummed. Super bummed. Ugh. Maybe next time, baby. Number 26. So number 27, Hoth, the planet. Um, mm. Star Wars is really big on their one um, type of season planets. Hoth being, you know, sure. the ice planet. Um, we don't really get to see a whole lot, but there's not a whole lot to see. It's white. Um, it is one of my favorite planets in the original um, trilogy, um, but Hoth it is. Okay, all right. Number 28, Therm Scissor Punch. Therm Scissor Punch. During Lando and Han's initial game of Sabacc in Solo, A Star Wars Story, uh, which is a film based on the Clone Wars uh, television series, um, there's they're at a round table with all kinds of crazy creatures one of them is a big lobster guy and you bet your Rock britches lobster. that his name is therm scissor punch okay well yep. mine moves from there we're on number 29. 29 
namesake of the show. Oh, that's great. Um, I would be doing him a disservice if we didn't call him out. Edgar Allan Edgar Allen Poe Dameron. Um, mm. We've recently learned that he was a drug dealer, which is <laughs> a little messed up, but... Um, you know, he ended up doing the right thing at the end due to the lack yeah. of viable candidates you. to take over for General Organa. Yeah. And it, for all the problems I have with that movie, I'm just so proud of how handsome he is. Yeah, and also, just, people are, oh. are always saying, all oh, these characters from Tross are... You know, um, one side, you don't get a whole lot of backstory. And it's just like... Yeah, people are always saying Tross. And people are like, Tross, Tross, Tross. And tross. what that man does with as little mm. time as he had on camera, it just... Face. It it, Oof, it just it makes you completely mm. forget, Bad like, in Force Awakens, like, how did he survive? How did he get back to the Rebel base? Um, well... None, none of that... They have a comic book yeah. about that. Um, but as far as the movie goes, I don't care. All right, I'm just glad he's back in the fray. He's ready and willing and able, and he's going to do what Poe Dameron does, and that's get it. Yeah. Famously was originally supposed to be killed off in that crash at the beginning of Episode 7. Yeah, and then they... Um, and then further on, they decide against it. Brilliant move. I can't even imagine how much less handsome the sequel trilogy would be. And look, it's a very handsome trilogy. Yeah. Very good-looking men all throughout that trilogy. Some okay? good-looking fellas. I'm just saying, Oscar Isaac is just so handsome. And I'm so proud of him. Yeah, I mean, Oski, he... I mean, he was doing well with his career before this, but Poe Dameron definitely, you know, um, he, it, it, he punched his ticket to being mm-hmm. one of the... Top, you know, hundred um, get it actors in Hollywood. Top hundred for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, we are on thirty now. Oh boy, are we moving out so good? Number thirty. Hmm. 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 Han Pointy Solo. Let me tell you, just like it when Han Solo points at people, he does it so good. And it's mostly Harrison Ford does that in all of his roles, but as Han Solo, boy, can that man point. He likes to point a lot. He really must. He really must. And his his kid, his kid also likes to point. You know, I bet... Very nice touch to a movie I have a lot of problems with, is that he points in that movie. Do not think I didn't notice that and love it. And he also... I would really like to see, like four-year-old five-year-old ben solo pointing just like his dad as you know mm-hmm. he probably is um getting his kid in situations that no five-year-old should be in but um mm-hmm. you know i guess we'll see that in a comic or something um number sure. 31 christopher sean um now i'm gonna say um christopher sean and his interaction with the fans um I don't think that there's a Star Wars um, actor that is as warm and welcoming and enjoys interacting with the fans as Christopher is. Um, he is a person that 
takes time out of his day to literally like thousands of not thousands, um, tons and tons of tweets. And he, when we were just getting out with our podcast, um, we gave him the po boy of the week and we just tagged him thinking that he was not going to respond. And not only did he, um, respond, he also listened to the episode where we talked about a dip and salsa party that we had, um, with Mm -hmm. multiple, multiple Star Wars celebrities and then we got into the award, the fake award that we gave him, like, minute 17 into that. So, um, yeah. we've met him. We met him in Chicago. Um, it was he, what, probably the highlight of that trip. Um, he, We're saying a lot. He DM'd us. Um, we gave him some Po'Boys merch, and he DM'd us um, that it was, you know, on his um, Instagram story, which is just insane. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, he's it was he's a super super cool guy. We keep meaning to get him on the podcast, but we are troglodytes and have not figured out how to do three person calls. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll okay. get there eventually. Uh, maybe he maybe he can be on episode two hundred. Um. All right, so 32. I got this oven mitt. I believe I got it at thinkgeek.com. It is a space slug from Empire Strikes Back, but it's an oven mitt. And you pull your hand, you go, oh, no, I'm a space slug. And in the mouth, it's got even a little Millennium Falcon. It's a space slug oven mitt. Is it, it is a Java oven? What? No, it's a space slug. Like, that comes out in... In Empire Strikes Back? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when yeah, they're yeah, in the yeah, little yeah. hole in the asteroid, yeah, and yeah. it comes out and yeah, tries yeah. to bite him and gobble him up. Yeah. It slaps. All right. Um, number 33. Yep. Okay. Number 33. Um, Ray. Just just Ray. Great. Um, Great. No Ray with the last name. Um, I yes. would say <laughs> that when you compare the main protagonist of the three trilogies, mm-hmm. um, Anakin, Luke, and Rey, Rey by far is the most compelling of the three of them, is the one that I root for the most, the one that I care about the most, mm-hmm. and is just... People criticize, you know, the new trilogy for a plethora of reasons, but Daisy Ridley... And her performance in all three of them are just absolutely are just absolutely fantastic. The only thing, the like the knock on her is that there wasn't more of her. That's literally yeah, it. Sure. Like, oh, um, uh, Last Jedi could have used more Ray to make that movie better. When she catches the lightsaber in Episode Seven, seeing that in theaters for the first time, we were there. I yeah. was. Yeah, I was. I was overwhelmed. That moment, that moment still overwhelms me, and is in a pantheon of moments in cinema with with very few peers. Uh, just, just incredible, just incredible, and I love that character so much. Uh, yeah. Oh God, like Bryce Skywalker, what are you doing, man? When she catches that lightsaber, oh, and Daisy Ridley really does knock it out of the park. So um, that was thirty three. All right, 34, let's keep it in the sequel trilogy here. In Last Jedi, I got a quote here. 
Rose Tico looking out at Canto Bite, and she says, I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy, beautiful town. That's a good line. It's a quote. It's such a great line. It's the most Bruce Springsteen thing that's ever been said in Star Wars. Oh, that's, de- that's definitely true. And I love the boss so, so much. But it is a line that endeared that character to me so, so much. And she's uh, the closest I think we get to an everyman in that in that trilogy of movies. And just her... Her, the sentiment she expresses in that moment with just, oh, God, just such a great job, such a great line, such a great delivery. Uh, and so number 34 for me is Rose Springsteen. So number 35, um, the different iterations of the Force. So they, through the TV shows, have tried to explain that the Force is not just um, Sith and Jedi, they're in Rebels. They have the Bendu, the neutral mm-hmm. force. They have the... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah they yeah. have the brother and the sister and the father in the... Um, mm-hmm. Was it Mortis arc? Yeah, and then... Yep. Or you got kind of Night Sisters, I guess. And the, yeah, the Night Sisters, too. Yes. And then in the Lost Missions, there's those people that like to eat the force or whatever that Mace and um, Jar Jar end right, up fighting. Right. But just... And... Uh... Jared Imway from Rogue One. Yeah, and then the the um, followers of the Force that are in Jedha, mm-hmm. um, all are just like really cool, you know, um, subsects of you know the main two um, ways that we look at the Force with the Sith and the Jedi. Right, and it's this idea that the Force is not binary. Like there happen to be two reigning sort of religions, but the Force is its own thing, free of Jedi and Sith. Yeah. You know, whether the Jedi or Sith exist, the Force exists. All right. Yeah, that was a good one. Number 36, Nine Numb. Just a real solid bro. Just a real solid bro. Did you have that one? Yeah. All right, that that just pushes (laughs) mine. I had to come up with another one for Ahsoka. You have to come up with another one for that. Um, Nine Numb's just a real solid bro. Like, if I were were getting married tomorrow, I'd want Nine Numb at my bachelor party. And I think he would be like, you know, buy me a drink or whatever. And he'd be like, all right, let's have fun, but like not too much fun. And he'd make sure everyone was like having a good time, but not getting stupid. And he would still be having a good time. And like, he's not the kind of guy you would have to worry about. Like, oh, how's Nine Numb doing? Like, you know, he just like goes with it. He's just like, when he's coming to a party, you know that you're not going to have to worry about him and that he is going to make sure you don't have to worry about anyone else because he's just got that effortless charisma yeah oh. um so i'm just i'm just, just yeah i'm very upset um you're gonna say the same thing i assume yeah um number 37. 30 37 um mando i will not say his actual name because it's mando! very very um i'm not a huge don't. fan of it um mando you know, like a real name, Didgeridoo? <laughs> Didgeridoo. <laughs> Didgeridoo and Yanni. Um, Pedro Boy Season 2, baby! <laughs> yeah. Um, very good character. Um, my mm. dad, when I made, I tricked him into watching the first three episodes of The Mandalorian, was like, are we ever going to get to see his face? He's not actually acting. Um, wow. Yeah. You beat him up, right? <laughs> no, I was like, good, good, good observation, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, just a very compelling character, um, a character that they show a progression, and they also don't overpower him throughout the no, uh, fact, first season. No, in fact, we see him get clowned pretty quickly. Yeah, he gets clowned um, a lot. He yeah, is kind of like a like video game. even. He's kind of like a video game character, so like in full and order um if you've played it you can use your force powers so like i would when i was playing fallen order i would get my enemies near a cliff and i just shove them and in <laughs> season one he wants to burn everybody alive and it's something oh, i can does, and it's something i can really appreciate in terms of just okay. wanting to cheat and move on with what the story is sure. so um that is my 30 no, Seven. 37. All right, coming in at number 38, I'm going to go with the uh, Star Wars Episode One toys that they gave out across three different fast food chains that coincided with the three planets in the film The Phantom Menace. Pizza Hut, I believe, had toys from Coruscant. Um, KFC had toys from Naboo, I think. And Taco Bell had toys from Tatooine. Uh, yes, what a problematic, weird picking of restaurants assigned toys or whatever. I don't know, maybe, but That's I remember a, as a kid a corporation being owns them all. into it. Right, yeah. Yum Brands. I don't know if Yum Brands owned them in 1999 or not. Uh, but yeah, for a while there, you could get Star Wars little trinkets, and they were all were dumb and sucked, but, you know, at three different restaurants. And that was, that was, uh, did you dr- Did you drag your parents to those restaurants? I... Come on, Probably. Mom! We gotta go to Pizza Hut! Tried pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember getting anything all that cool either. I got like a Watto kind of bobblehead type thing. And um, but also, I think the coolest one I got was some sort of toy of Padme's sleek kind of silver ship. I don't know. But also, it was an interesting when, idea. When you're a kid, it's not like you're cueing your parents into the true intentions for something. Like, I was just having this conversation with a friend where I got to name my childhood dog, and I named um, her Misty, and my mom didn't know for, like, two years later that that was just the, that was the water gym that I was on oh, when I because I was playing Pokemon on my Game Boy when we were picking dogs. But she was like, that's a really great name. Um, but, yeah, that's a good pick. So for number 39... We have your boy, my boy, everybody loves this character. He was done dirty. Uh, Mace Windu. Mm. Did he survive? No. Did he get to <laughs> did he get to pick his lightsaber? Um did he get to pick his boy, lightsaber? Yes. Boy did he. Did they do a great job with him in the Clone Wars TV show? Not particularly. When he's there. Yeah. Um, not particularly. That is very much a character I would like to get more into. They do a Marvel Comics did a five issue miniseries about him. That was that was okay. It was okay. Um, but boy, yeah, I, I would love to have had more of that character in the prequel trilogy. I would have just liked to see more conflict between Anakin and Mace. Because like there's cl- yeah. there's a clear animosity that Anakin has towards Mace that. Mm-hmm. You see in episode three, but you don't really see it in the seven seasons of the TV show. So yeah, well, and I would he he is 
speaking of Qui-Gon from earlier, I feel like Mace Windu is the polar opposite side of the coin from Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh-huh. And I, just, I don't know. His whole view of things, I would very much like more perspective on. Yeah, I don't know if the Shatterpoint is actually canon or not. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. Um, there's... They they explain in either Legends or Disney um, this like concept of the Force called Shatter Points, where mm. he can see and manipulate different parts of the Force that are coming, so that he can manipulate it in his favor. It's something that mm. like, and I'm not a hundred percent on this. It it's something where he like flirts with the dark side because of the power that he can have, but he can have the ability to see it which is uh, what makes him more powerful than most other jedi um yeah but somebody that's listening to this that's more knowledgeable can definitely fact check me on it so uh, totally. number 40 number 40 is uh speaking of marvel comics miniseries there's a four issue marvel comics miniseries that came out before the last jedi uh is written by Kelly Thompson, I'm going to find out who did the art here in just a moment, but it is a Captain Phasma miniseries um, with art by Marco Marco Trichetto, and it follows Captain Phasma in the immediate aftermath of Force Awakens, where she is essentially responsible for the destruction of Starkiller Base, um, and sort of where she ends up, how she gets away from Starkiller Base, how she um, is able to obfuscate her role in the destruction of Starkiller Base. And it's it's great. It really treads a, a, a fine line between divulging a little bit of information about who Captain Phasma is without overdoing the mystery and unmasking her and, you know, things like that. It was, it was a really great miniseries, great writing, great art. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Captain Phasma uh, by Kelly Thompson and Marco Chichetta. So, um, number 41, the planet of Geonosis. Hmm. Um, we get to see this planet in episode two, um, and we get to see the Colosseum scene. We get to see a large battlefield where clearly, um, they all got to set up beforehand and then they started once everybody, you know, was able to, you know, get into their proper positions. Um, we get to see this in a, what, three-episode arc with Kill All Mundi and Luminara. And... Oh, I think it's a full four. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a long arc, yeah. Um, so we get to see the Ketacombs. We get to see, um, like, an act... Like, one of the few Clone Wars episodes that you actually feel like it's an actual war episode. Yes, landing on Point Rain. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of... When I really wanted to see when I when the Clone Wars was announced of like, oh, we actually get to see, you know, these big, big battles and background and like, um, where is Kill Alamundi? Where is um, Plo Koon? Um, Etc. So uh, number 41, Geonosis. Nice. Uh, let's. I'll bounce off of Genosis a little bit in a, in a tertiary sort of way. And my own uh, Marvel Comics miniseries, Captain Phasma, number forty-two. I'm gonna say the Darth. The first two volumes of the Darth Vader comic in the Disney era of Marvel Star Wars comics. There's a third volume right now written by Greg Pak. 
I haven't read yet, so I can't speak to that. I don't go to the comic store week to week anymore. But when Marvel first started releasing Star Wars comics again in, I think, the end of or 2014 or 2015 or whatever it was, they did a main Star Wars book. They did a Darth Vader book by Kieran Gillen, art by Salvador La Roca. Um, and it follows Darth Vader in the immediate aftermath of Episode One, where he is utterly disgraced for letting the Death Star be blown up. And it tracks how he gets from the most humiliating defeat of his career uh -huh. to where we see him in Empire Strikes Back uh, on board the Executor and really asserting his will over the Imperial military. Fantastic series. Introduces Dr. Aphra, who is an incredible character. Uh, probably should be on this list in her own right, but I thought it might be doubling up with laying the comic and Dr. Aphra. Um, and then the second volume of the Darth Vader Marvel comic series written by friend of the pod, Charles Soule, and art by Giuseppe Camuncoli. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that last name right. Follows Darth Vader in the immediate aftermath of episode three. Goes through how he gets his red lightsaber. Goes through the history of his castle. Um, goes through the sack of Moncala by the Empire. Fantastic. Goes into a character named Lord Momin. Okay. Who is a really cool comics character as well. So if, if you're looking to dive at all into Star Wars comics, I strongly recommend... Uh, the Darth Vader comic book series, there's two of them. There's a third out right now, but the, one by Kieran Gillen and one by Charles Soule. They're fantastic. All right. That's number 42. Number 42. The And this is general. And this is number 43. Um, number 43. Um, this is just general. The Samurai Jack Star Wars series. Gandhi Tark Tarkovsky. Yeah. Yep. Um, when this came out, this was um, early 2000s. Um, what they would do is they would release it, they were shorts, and then they would release it on yes. Friday nights, I believe. Um, and that sounds right. they would, you know, they would release them at like eight o'clock and this is back before, you know, the internet was prevalent. This is, you know, people had TiVo. I certainly did not. Um, I was freaking babysitting at the time. What a world. Yeah. So I would just, um, you know, block out my day to watch this. And <laughs> it, it was definitely, you know, they were using the parts of animation that allow you to explore beyond the bounds of live action, which is something mm -hmm. that I was extremely excited about. The fa My favorite episode by far is the Mace Windu on Dantooine where yeah, um, yeah he's a terrible commander. All of his clones die, but then he's like, <laughs> all right, whatever. I'm just going to punch all of these things to death. Um, Kit Fisto is also a highlight of that series yeah. Um, yeah. where we get to see, and they did a redo, a remake of it. Right. Um, and the Mon Cala stuff. Where you see him without a shirt on yeah. and he looks very fit. Um, and that was also... Meanwhile, I'm over here like, mm, maybe Poe Dameron could do this at some point. Um. <laughs> yeah, so the um, Star, the Samurai Jack Star Wars series. Yeah, and that will tie into my next thing here, but um, I have that on DVD. And I haven't watched it since buying it on DVD. At some point, hopefully we can finagle it uh, when you and I are in the same room together again. We should watch those. Maybe do some commentary or something. We should definitely talk about those. Okay, yeah, I would definitely I be down seen for them that. Since they aired. Um, so some stuff that I really liked in that series was they had IG biker droids with like lances. Those were pretty yeah. cool. 
also a bounty hunter named Dirge. Yeah, Dirge is pretty like cool. Unhurtable or whatever, and could morph. I don't know, but I think it was immortal. Dirge yeah. was originally going to be in the Dave Filoni CGI Clone Wars series. He was originally going to show up in an episode that is on my list here called Hostage Crisis, which is the season one finale. But rather than go with Dirge, they decided to go back to the drawing board and they came up with Cad Bane. Uh, And Cad Bane debuts in the season one finale Hostage Crisis of uh, the the Clone Wars show, the more prominent uh, second Clone Wars series. And this is the first episode of Clone Wars I think I watched in the first five minutes of it are pretty uh, brutal for animation at that time. I was like, it was a good show. Uh, very kind of opening of Dark Knight or Heat sort of kind of heist. Um, Cad Bane and Aura Singh and his bounty hunter buddies breaking into the Senate, I think. Um, great episode. Cad Bane's a, a great endearing character, and it, it um, really launched um, my interest in the show and broadened my fandom of star wars in general so i gotta give a shout out number 44 here hostage crisis all right so for number 45 um i went character specific for a lot of these so um this is one of my favorite jedi luminara undula yeah talk about yeah. that uh, you're if i'm being real your uh, interest in this character has often fascinated me because she doesn't get a lot of time in the Star Wars that I know. Yeah, so this is a character, Luminara, was literally in two scenes of the movies. Um, she's in... One of them she's killed. <laughs> um, no, she is... No, the movies. So she's right. not killing the movies. Oh, you're yeah. right, you're right, you're yeah. right. Yeah, um, mistake, mistake. So she's a Jedi. Um, she has a Padawan named Barriss Afi. She is the, like... Um, she has like a weird headdress. Um, she is a Moralian, which I'm trying to, I'm struggling to think of other people that are those. They're basically Barisafi. Barisafi. They have some connection to water that I'm not 100 percent on. Um, the big thing is they have like facial tattoos that signify different periods of their life as they're going through it. Um, she mm. is one of the Jedi that's um, the Genos pits. And then she is on Kashyyyk. There's a little blurb um, when Yoda's there. And then she's presumably killed. Um, she is then brought, and you're shown that she was captured and um, killed in Rebels. And then she has a couple arcs, a couple episodes in um, Clone Wars. And then the Samurai Jack one, she had a series, she had one episode that was dedicated to her as well. Um, the reason I like this character a lot is when I was like watching the movies, you know, in the early 2000s and wanting to kind of consume more. I never really got into the comic books, but there is a book that um, is now Legends and it went over what Anakin and Obi-Wan were doing right before episode two. And they haven't really explained that yet, um, as far as I know, um, through comic books or books so far. That's kind of like um, hasn't really been touched between episode one and episode two post Disney buying um, Star Wars. But it was just a they aged them so that Barris and Anakin were the same age. 
and that Luminara and Obi-Wan were more peers than they are in the um, show. And it's just a character that I really, really liked um, throughout that. So um, that is why she is my number 45. Great. Number 46 for me, Rebels Recon, which was the YouTube after show for Star Wars Rebels. Uh, after it's a good one. Star Wars Rebels would air the next day. They would post Rebels Recon on the Star Wars YouTube page. Uh, as Andy Gutierrez was the host, and she would interview the cast and crew and kind of give a recap of the episode. And it, to me, represents the apex of, uh, I don't know, post-show content for Star Wars um, that has since never been replicated they didn't do anything for resistance i guess they did buckets list or whatever they're doing a clone wars download now uh they all pale in comparison to rebels recon i suspect rebels recon maybe took more time and effort than they're willing to do i mean it was was a good show they had bits they had recurring bits they had to interview pablo hidalgo it was hilarious great interviews andy gutierrez is super charismatic i've always liked her um number 46 rebels recon miss you very much what I wouldn't give for a Clone Wars Recon or Resistance Recon, but alas. So, number 47, um, Princess Leia. Ah! Now, um, this is a character that um, was the highlight of the original trilogy, broke the mold in terms of the damsel in distress. Carrie Fisher obviously, you know, shattered expectations and mm-hmm. is somebody that um, people absolutely loved, um, as was witnessed by the fact that it seemed like a national death and people were in deep, dark depression when she passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I've That's mm-hmm. not really like... Um, there was just kind of a much different feeling around that time when Carrie Fisher passed, and that's just because of the impact that Leia had. It's a character that is a good lesson in just the endurance and um, the drive to, when you have your convictions, to stick with them because so many terrible things happened to her and beat her down, and at no point did she ever really back down from that, uh, which is a really Mm -hmm. cool part of her character. And the iterations that have been after Carrie Fisher, I've enjoyed, um, uh, although there, nothing really beats Carrie Fisher's portrayal of Leia. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that can be difficult about the sequel trilogy is it's hard to see your childhood heroes and learn that their lives only got harder or, or became more and more difficult, that they never got happiness at the end of the tunnel. And Leia, within the canon of Star leads such a hard life and so many hard unfortunate things happen to her but she always perseveres she keeps going um what a great inspirational character lover 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 um yeah princess leia great uh i'll piggyback off of that for my 48 gary fisher carrie that's a good one yeah let me tell you i had the distinct privilege of meeting carrie fisher at new york comic-con uh a few years back and she was accompanied by Gary Fisher. And that dog is a living cartoon. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Its tongue is ridiculous. Its eyes are ridiculous. It is the cutest, most ridiculous. You're just like, how is this even a real thing that exists? 
And he was always with Carrie Fisher in all of her interviews. And let me tell you, Carrie Fisher's interviews, oh, fantastic. But yeah, Gary, Gary Fisher, always a, a, a welcome addition to uh, to anything. What a champ. What a little champ. All right. Um, ep- number 50. Can't believe we're at... Number 49. Number 49. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. All right, um, number 49, um, The Battle for the Colossus. This is the last episode of season one of Star Wars Resistance, where um, the First Order uh, yeah. gets there, and we get to see um, Team Fireball, Team Aces, um, try to defend um, the Colossus as it's trying to break orbit. We get to see that the Colossus, in fact, is a ship. Um, is not just this floating station and we get to see um the pirates come in we get some great great music and and the and the different dog fights and we get like one of the better dog fights i think resistance um had very very good dog fights i was trying to list a couple different ones that i liked and then i just picked the one i liked the most which was the battle for the colossus in the season one finale yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely one of, if not the best, episodes of Star Wars Resistance. Uh, number 50. Look, Big 5-0, we're halfway through, an hour and 25 minutes into the episode. We really got to mark number 50 with something significant. And I'm going to say, Embo! Embo, the bounty hunter from Star Wars Clone Wars, voiced by Dave Filoni. Uh, Embo, snowboarding on his big circular hat. Takes that bad boy off. He stands on it. He snowboards with it. Great job, Embo. Snowboarding on your ridiculous hat. Number 50. Did I ever tell you Embo is, um... Oh, halfway there! What? Yeah, so number 51. Um, Darth Vader post-Disney purchase. And what I mean by that Uh, is... After Disney made the purchase, they were like, Oh, this iconic character? Yeah, um, our marketing department is going to go hog wild on this. And they, boy, did they. I mean, you have um, the VR Vader. You have the Vader scene, the Vader Vader comics. um, You have the Vader scene in Rogue One that is terrifying and is like, this Mm. is why people were terrified of Vader. And you have Vader as the the ultimate villain, uh, the ultimate boss in... um, Are you going to be spoiler here? in some stuff and um <laughs> then vader clowns people left and right in that stuff so he's also i think his first post disney appearance is in star Wars yeah and Rebels. he clowns them too and he and he's horrifying yeah. i think the main thing that disney when they reacquired star wars they very quickly through rebels and through rogue, rogue one taught me to fear darth vader again and that he is a formidable force of, of darkness and villainy. Man, when he showed up in Rebels, it was frightening. Yeah, it's just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Number 52. Mm, Babu Frick. What Bobby cutie. Babu Frick. Babu Frick. Um, number, uh, anything else? Nope. Um, Number 53, Lando Calrissian. Yes. Yes. Um, For the record, I do believe that uh, 
they recently gave him a middle name. Yes, they oh, did. Oh, that's great. And it is, it is Balthasar. Oh, that's right. And his full name is actually Landonis. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so yeah, Landonis Balthasar Calrissian. That's better than the explanation for Han. What's your last name? Oh, oh boy, that I don't was have rough. a last name. But we're talking about hundred Star Wars ever, not worst. <laughs> he looks Star at a solo Wars cup. Ever. Solo cup? <laughs> and they're like, solo cup's too long. Fine, cup. Han cup doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Fine, Han solo. Han cup. Han cup. Whether he be Billy D or Donald Glover, you gotta love Lando. <sighs> he did get a very nice moment in, in Rise of Skywalker yeah. there. Even if he wouldn't shuffle my card for me. So, um, um no. yeah, go ahead. Number, number 55. 55. Kooky Yoda. Boy, let me tell you, when Yoda shows up in Empire Strikes Back, he's gone a little kooky. And now that we have the prequels and all this stuff to inform us, that kookiness is always hilarious. But now in the broader context of the saga, it also takes on like a weird sort of distressing dark quality of like, oh, has, is Lo- did he lose it? Like, is he yeah, going kind of crazy? Yeah. But it's also he's hilarious. Sort of like when he's throwing Luke's stuff around and he's fighting with R2-G2 and Luke's like, oh, come on! Oh, great. Look, I love a good Kooky Yoda. And you bet! You bet! That if I was having that bachelor party with Nine-Num, uh, Kooky Yoda would be there. And Nine-Num would be keeping him in line. And that is number 55. So, number 55. Little Buddy. Oh! Oh! Little Buddy... I'm glad you got it. Little him. Buddy is... Oh. oh, Peep and himself. Oh, Pete and himself. Little Buddy is one of... He's a heartthrob. Um, he is somebody... He really, truly he's is. He's somebody that... He just wants to clean, you know? He just... He has this one thing that he likes in life. Um, and cleanliness is next to godliness. And let me tell you... Little Buddy over here looking holy A-H. Yeah, and Little Buddy, he... I mean, everybody loves him. But people just get in his way with cleaning. Ladies want to date him. Men want to be him. Yeah. Or vice versa. I, I think that's all we need. That's all we need to say. We can move on. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Number 56. Thrawn's theme in okay. Rebels. This is... Creepy, kind of organy theme, and uh, I I think that Thrawn's theme um, is owed money by Star Wars at large because I suspect that it uh, has gotten money from both of us, Pete, because um, it was Star Wars Celebration London, which was in 2016. It was the year before we went in okay. Orlando. And they live streamed it. And they live streamed the Star Wars Rebels panel. And I watched from home on my couch as they debuted the trailer for Star Wars Rebels Season 3. And this trailer is incredible. And all of a sudden, there's this organ music starts. Bum, bum. And you go backwards shot of a guy standing in, in, a, in a nice office. And he turns around and it's Thrawn. And the audience is going crazy. And I'm alone in my living room going crazy. And I'm just like... I have to be at the next Star Wars Celebration. I do not care. I call Pete. We figure it out. We've been at every Star Wars Celebration since, and yes, it is only two. But that theme, 
and they play it in the show as well. They play it when he's interrogating Hera and, and sequences like that. And it's, it's this just very, um, uh, it's kind of crescendoing organ theme. And it does a great job of, of conveying his sort of lethal intelligence. And it's a banger. And you bet that at my bachelor party with Nine Num and Kukiyota, it will be playing in the club. Thrawn's theme. Uh, by Kevin Kiner, I believe, did the music for Star Wars Rebels. So, um, this is 57? Yes. Okay, 57. Um, this goes back to the Star Wars Celebration Chicago. Um, for listeners that aren't really aware, and also congratulations to being listening for 90 minutes. Um, yeah. We, so, Celebration, they did... A, um, a lottery system where um, they just randomly said, oh, you get to be in the episode nine panel. You get to be in the um, episode one panel, Mandalorian. Mandalorian panel. So, Josh, you got into Mandalorian. I got into the episode nine. Um, they gave us they gave me this um, beanie, this episode nine beanie um, and said, oh, JJ wants it to happen. I'm like, oh, thank you, JJ. <laughs> oh, JJ said me, Pete. And give it to Pete. The um, just the energy that was there, um, watching oh, sure. that was just insane. And then that's imagine. where they announced um, Palpatine wasn't actually in that trailer, but they have the actor. His laugh is was yeah his laugh is, but they had um, Ian um, Ian McDermott. And that's not right. Yeah, oh, Ian McDermott. Um, he was again. there and he was like, roll it again. And he did the voice yeah. and everybody is like screaming and people are like, oh my gosh, is that him? Is that him? What's happening? What's happening? And just the energy that was in that, um, was mm-hmm. something that was a huge highlight of that celebration. Oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, all right. Number 58. Let's do some quick ones here. Django Fett's depth charges. One of my favorite parts of episode two is just anything between Jango Fett and Obi-Wan. Yeah. They have a great little fight there on Kamino, and then they have a small dogfight in an asteroid field. Slave one, Jango Fett's ship, starts dropping off these depth charges, and just the sound design. Oh. And just boom, boom, boom. And then silence. Like, oh. You know. You know. It's the um, Obi-Wan pulling the lever and it going, mm. Oh. It's the that of the prequel trilogy. That That was really good. Thank you. I'm a very talented man, and I have a lot of interesting and important things to say. So, number 59, the father-son relationships in Star Wars. Oh, um, They, you know, I, I've said this multiple times, Star Wars has something for everyone. And for those of us that have cats in the cradle relationships with our fathers, they have that with um, Luke and Anakin, and nothing needs to be more needs to be said. I'll be saying that to my therapist later this week. Great. Um, online. All right. Number sixty. Great. Death Trooper noises. Let me tell you, these Death Troopers look cool. But when I was in that theater watching Rogue One opening night, those Death Troopers come walking up, and then they start going. Cried. Oh my gosh, Death Trooper noises. Are you kidding me with these Death Trooper noises? Oh, beautiful. Number 60. Number 61, um, Nora Wexley. 
This is oh my this is Snap's mom. Um, she was a character that was written in um, post Disney buying Star Wars. Um, she's the the part of a three book series that was released that talked about what happened aftermath 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 trilogy. yeah the aftermath trilogy. Um, they named her as a character in Episode Six um, when. Wedge and Lando go into the second Death Star. There is an X-Wing and a Y-Wing. She's the Y-Wing. And is a character that is dealing with PTSD. Her kid is Snap Wexley and sucks. So she also has to deal with keeping Snap alive and with um, PTSD. She also joined the Resistance because her husband was a dissident and was taken in by the Empire. So she has to deal with that. Um, she and Wedge end up becoming a thing. Spoilers for Aftermath. I saved you a, three books. Um, okay. Yeah, a, a very a, a, a character that I enjoy. Um, I kind of wish that she had some role. And I can I can easily see why she didn't have a role in Episode Nine. Um, although she is in the books leading up to Episode Nine, so she's in she's a named character in the hmm. Episode Nine books. Okay. So. Uh, so I'll go at number number sixty-two. Um, let's see here. I will say Werner Herzog, who plays the client nice. in the Mandalorian. Okay. But I'm not talking about the client. I'm talking about Werner Herzog, the German director who famously lost a bet to eat his own shoe and then did eat his own shoe. Uh, and there is a documentary about it called Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe. Um, let me tell you, every time this guy is on screen, oh. There's a reason would like to see the baby is a meme. And it's because he kills it. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Po boys are a complicated profession. The part where he puts his hands on the armor and is like, oh, it's great to see what can be done when it's returned to its ancestral yada yada. Oh. Man, that was all ad lib too. Like they didn't, they they barely wrote any lines for him. He was like, okay, okay, got it, got it. Story that John Favreau and Dave Filoni told about them taking away the Baby Yoda puppet, and they're saying, okay, we're going to shoot it again with the uh, idea of doing it CGI. And Werner Herzog called them cowards. (laughs) Oh, one of my favorite behind-the-scenes Star Wars stories. All right. Great stuff. So, number 62. That was number 62. So number 63, um, the planet of Kashyyyk. Um, ah. This is Chewbacca's home planet um, where all the Wookiees are. It is a planet that's only big, huge trees and huge, huge monsters as shown through Fallen Order. Um, it's just like a very... like. When you think of these fantastical places that exist in Star Wars, there's a lot of times they just show these big um, city planets or these kind of like bland, like Lothal is just like, uh, like, okay, that planet exists. Like, that's Nebraska. Cool, cool, cool. Move on. Um, (laughs) And then you have Kashyyyk where it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, they beat Avatar to the Avatar planet before. Like, yeah, decades before i didn't think about that um it's about one of my that. favorite planets it's very very cool and um you can't Great convince me otherwise stuff like that yeah yeah 
Um, number 64, Pablo Hidalgo. Okay. Pablo Hidalgo is a member of Lucasfilm's story group, um, which means he's part of the kind of group of people at Lucasfilm that make sure all the canon adds up, that everything that's happening in books and comics and video games and TV and movies all can line up into one story. Um, he's also he's a big presence on Rebels Recon. They would have people asking him questions, and he writes all the visual dictionaries, which I really, really love. And the visual dictionaries were a big part of expanding my fandom uh, early on in my young adulthood when I kind of rediscovered Star Wars. And quite frankly, his visual dictionary for Rise of Skywalker um, has helped me fit the events of that movie, not quite the movie, but the events of that movie into the larger... Um, Star Wars Saga as a whole, for some reason, the um, Phantom Menace type folk who really don't like Disney Star Wars, who really don't like the sequel trilogy, have decided that he is somehow to blame, which I would say is kind of like parents being unhappy with um, how a school is treating their child and deciding that it is the editor of the yearbook's fault. <laughs> uh, it's just insane, but I he's he's... He does a great job with all that kind of stuff, and I, in my wildest dreams, I daydream of the opportunity to interview Pablo Hidalgo and ask him, A, how he mentally sits down and is able to look at the scope of all that is Star Wars as one story, if he is able to line it up all as one story, and how he takes that broad macro view of it, and then B, to ask him, what it is like because he is he is of a a minority of people who discovers star wars through i don't know what kind of means i mean he like he's i assume knew what happens in rise of skywalker before seeing the film because he has to write the visual dictionary and stuff so he's getting information uh and and experiencing these stories in a very unique way but um He's a, he's a, well, my, he's a very nice man. My understanding well, is and... also that he is he got that job because he was like a mega fan that like mm-hmm. poured over every single Wikipedia post and like knew literally everything there is to know about Star Wars. Yeah, if you go back and watch those episodes of Rebels Recon and some of the questions they ask and some of the answers he has, it's it's great. And I I found him a very enjoyable presence. He has been uh, distressingly abused by subsects of star wars quote-unquote fandom but um his contributions to star wars have heightened my fandom and 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 heightened my enjoyment of star wars and so i thank him for that and so number 64 for me is pablo hidalgo so number 65 um oh that was stupid of me to make that number 64 go ahead so um number 65 kit fisto um kit fisto Mm. is uh aforementioned uh, um jedi he was um done dirty in episode three he's the guy with all the dreadlocks he's the guy with all, all the, the dreadlocks. dreadlocks um he has a jamaican accent i believe in the clone war yeah, series voiced by phil lamar um, in the clone war series he has one of the be- it's one of the best standalone episodes by far layer of greatness yeah. um just absolutely. the absolutely. ability for him to disconnect from you know um everything that would that happened and then he has that great episode in the Samurai Jack series, um, in the Moncala um, arc. He's um, relatively, I mean, it's a it's a it's it's a pretty good arc. But the layer of Grievous is definitely the highlight. Um, 
Yeah, if you've never watched Clone Wars before, you could do a lot worse than starting with that episode. It's a really good standalone episode. I would also add that Kip Fisto is a character that animation was very kind to, not only because he actually got to speak in animation, but because if you actually look at him in Attack of the Clones and in um, Revenge of the Sith, he is a horrifying fish man. Yeah. Who looks like he would bite you as soon as say hello. <laughs> Um, he rules. Yeah, and they make him ripped in the cartoon as well. So, um... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Let's let's move, let's move along. Number 66, and you know I get to be the one to pick this one. Um, what's my most 66 number one? Okay. Number 66, for me, is a line of dialogue. So much of Star Wars goes back, and I mentioned this in the Jar Jar Binks action figure... For me, one of the things Star Wars does best is, is this little bit of seasoning that just sends your imagination wild and really makes you just like, what does that mean? And um, there is a line of dialogue that I think about more than any line of dialogue in Star Wars. And it is from the season finale of season four of Clone Wars, in which, spoilers, Darth Maul is revived. Uh-huh. He is found insane in a garbage dump, but he is sort of revived. His mind is given back to him. He finds his sanity again. He gets velociraptor legs, and he runs around, and then he stops. He looks at the sky, and he sort of connects with the Force for a second, and he feels the shape of things, and he just says, um, So it began without me. Which is, he's, he's referring to Clone Wars and the implication being that, you know, Palpatine had planned for him to be around for all that. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's a very small moment, but it always sets my imagination on fire as to what could have been, as to what he was told, what he knows. Um, and, and Sam Witwer delivers that line so well. And there's this return to sanity and this understanding of his current lot in life uh oh gosh it's incredible it's incredible i think about that line constantly it's so strange how often i think about that line uh so it has begun without me number 66 so number 67 um number 67 the mandalorian theme song Can you tell no one else is at my house right now? (laughs) Um, Okay, let me point out, speaking of this, maybe you were there for when this happened or not. Were you there when you and I, you stayed over at my place after a party last week, and then the following morning somebody was like... (laughs) Were people screaming last night? Yeah, because you and I... And it was like, oh no, it was Josh and Pete screaming the Mandalorian theme song. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great. It's it's, oh, a, great. Insane, it's an awesome, awesome theme song. Ludwig Gorenson. Yeah. yeah, composer of the music for the Mandalorian. Such good music. I'm really chomping at the bit for them to release it on vinyl. Um, Alright. Number 68, I'll do what I should have done for number 64, which is N64 Pod Racer, the Star Wars Pod Racer game. Um, earlier I mentioned how I would go from A to Z naming Star Wars characters in alphabetical order, and you can bet I heavily relied on the roster of pod racers I remembered from Star Wars Pod Racer. I'm talking Mars Guo. I'm talking Ben Quadraneros. I'm talking Nevaki. Uh, 
Mars Guru again. Dud Bolt! Come on. Everybody loves a good Dud Bolt. Um, I think there was maybe a guy named Tinto Pagalables or whatever. I don't know. Um, I had a lot of fun with that game. I liked it a lot. It was my Mario Kart ripoff of choice. Even though they didn't have any boxes or things you could shoot at anyone. But I played that game a whole bunch. Whole bunch. N64 Pod Razor, number 68. It's last. All right. Um, number 69, um, the Battle of Yavin, the Death Star uh, trench run. Um, just, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, there, there's times where, you know, I haven't purchased the whole um, Star Wars collection, but I'll go on YouTube and be like, Death Star run. And then I'll rewatch it. Oh, no, yeah. really? <laughs> and um, good, just like the, when, when George Lucas originally did that, it was supposed to be a callback to the World War II um, air battles, those movies. Right. Um, and you can just you can definitely tell just the acting that's occurring when these guys are literally just in these little metal boxes and they have to pretend on things that they can't even possibly imagine what's happening. Um, is I mean, I it's one of my favorite things to rewatch in Star Wars. Um I can't even imagine seeing that in 1977. Like, going into that movie theater cold and seeing that battle. I can't even fathom what it would have yeah. been like. All right. Number 70, uh, Luke's leather jacket after the Battle of Yavin, when he gets his little award. Look, I've already said on the podcast, yellow is not my color, but that was a pretty hip leather jacket. And he wears it for a little bit in the new Marvel Star Wars comic, uh, by Jason Aaron that picks off right after the events of A New Hope. He wears that bad boy around a little bit. He's looking very handsome in it. Yellow's not my color, but it's a good jacket. So, um, we are on 71. 71. Um, this is um, Waiting for Force Awakens. Oh, man. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, one. there was just so much speculation of, you know, who Kylo Ren was, the um, double-edged lightsaber, um, or the, the hilted, hilted? How do you call it? Yeah. The hilted yeah, the lightsaber, um, the fact that we, like, didn't know at that point that Mark Hamill wasn't in it whatsoever, and just all of yeah. the voice, you know, all the voice acting that he was doing, um... It, just the anticipation that was going into it was just and the fact that it paid off at least for you yeah, and i it was ab- only only a yeah that. so what a time to be alive that's 71 and someday our kids will have a episode episode 10 hype like that i guess 72 i have these star wars adidas they are TIE Fighters. They look sort of like Converse All-Stars, but on the side of the sneaker is a TIE Fighter wing, and they freaking rule. I got it for my anniversary like, I don't know, seven years ago at this point, and one time I was driving around with my friend, and I was like, yo, I got these dope TIE Fighter sneakers, and I stopped at a stop sign, I lifted my leg up over a steering wheel to show them, and then there was a cop across the intersection. <laughs> Uh, who saw me being a psycho? He he lit me up pretty good. Uh, he just flashes lights, but yeah, they're great shoes. The Star Wars Tie Fighters. All right, um, we this Fight is seventy three, seventy three. The Knights of the Old Republic YouTube videos. 
So the the like the, the cinematic trailers. Yeah. The trailer or the cutscenes from the game? Um, I or guess both, I both. Guess. I've never really played the game, so I wouldn't know. But like, you okay. know, the there's the the one where they basically just the ship yeah, ship lands. The, yeah, the ship lands. Um, like where they're on that prison um, station outside Corbon, which is an awful place to have a prison. That's like having a prison right by like an enemy territory or something. Um, mm-hmm. And then they have that like clearly Han Solo with like a hat um, character. Um, those they put a ton of money into them. The animation is insane. Um, it made me want to play those games, but not to the extent of buying a computer and actually going out and playing those games. Um, it's a part yeah. of Star Wars that, like, when it when I see it as a like a recommended, I'll watch it. I've probably seen that like ten, fifteen times over the course of like you know the last decade. Um, I'm sure you've seen them as well. Um, and one or two, I haven't taken a deep dive. I'll have to look at it again. So, um, yeah, that's that's um, seventy three. Okay, number seventy four. Um, I will go with uh, the B wing. Okay, let me tell you about the B wing. I enjoy A. A's A's Say good. Looks uh, it gets a bad rap. A's fine. B-Wing, utterly incomprehensible. Why would you ever make a ship that's shaped that way? It makes no freaking sense. He's a mad like scientist. Driving a car, but you're driving the car from the trunk of the car, and the whole car is moving horizontally down the street. Uh, and the other thing about the B-Wing that yeah. I love so much is that in defiance of God and everyone, it is shaped like a T. No, it's a B. But we're going to call oh, it a B-Wing. B. Great. Yeah, it's a B. It's a, it's a space it's, B. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's an Arabesque yeah, bee. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry, that's, okay. A little, that's a little embarrassing. It's been an Arabesque bee for a while. Oh, no. Okay. And I am going to look that up right now. Okay, so um, we're on 75. Oh, we're three quarters away there. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go through these real quick. <laughs> um, 75, Great. the March of the Resistance, which is... And the Arabesh B actually looks sort of like a oh, so you're okay. out of your mind. March of the yeah, Resistance. Yeah, March of the Resistance. It's the theme song that the Resistance gets in Force Awakens. Um, I used to be really into swimming when I was training to not die in a triathlon, and I bought a underwater MP3 player. And this MP3 player that you could um, like, I attached it to my swim cap. Um, you could only put like. 10 songs on it and i just put march of the resistance last steps and raise theme over and over again as i was doing laps um it's one of my like favorite um songs from john williams off of that i will say the score for star wars episode three also by john williams is a two-pronged thing um I just always have enjoyed the the intro to that score. I really like the Palpatine's teaching track on there, which is the yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. That's why I picture also, opera as similar, mm-hmm, similar to Duel of the Fates, which is a piece of music that uh, ultimately unlocked part of the story for me and helped my perspective on the story. Um, 
I think it's called Duel of the Heroes, or as is the track from from Revenge of the Sith. Uh, you know, da da da. I'm not gonna sing for you. You know what I'm talking about. Um, really, the more I listen to it, Battle of the Heroes unlocked for me a different perspective on Anakin's mindset, and there's very frenzied um, um, instrumentation going on at the beginning of that track. And I listened to a podcast once called Star Wars Oxygen, which was about the music of Star Wars. And they had a guy on there whose name I'm unfortunately blanking on right now. He's one of the hosts of the Celebration Stage. David Collins hosted that. Uh, and he kind of went in depth on the, the prequel trilogy music. And there's a madness to the beginning of that Battle of Heroes track uh -huh. on episode three that really kind of um, informed my perspective of where Anakin's at, which in turn informed my perspective on the movie as a whole. And really... I, I appreciate that movie more because of the score. It actively influenced my perception of the film and my philosophy on the film, my thinking of the film. And so that is number seven. All right, number 77. Um, Obi-Wan, just the character. Um, Great. It's a character that at no point did I ever get frustrated and was like, this is a character that is going through steps. So, like, you know, with Ahsoka, you are understandably you know not a huge fan at the very beginning um anakin infuriates me at uh, uh multiple points in his storyline but obi-wan is just i don't know obi-wan can be a bit much in phantom menace yeah but um i don't know if you i mean so you... oh why do i sense we picked up another pathetic yeah, life form? yeah but... okay that seems sort of xenophobic. Yeah, but here's the thing, Josh is, and Josh, um, you're an only child. Um, I have a little. Br I'm not an only oh, child. Oh right, you have a sister. Do you really think I'm an only child? <laughs> um, you don't have a brother. I have a brother, and. Oh, so if you don't have a brother, you're an only child. Okay, great, Pete. Great, Pete. Okay, Josh, cool, we've been cool. we've been recording for two cool. hours, so just cut me a little slack. All right, so one on one's canceled. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, this is just something that when you have somebody new that's put into your life, um, I can easily see that. Um, Al Guinness's cover, um, portrayal of him was great. Um, Ian McGregor's portrayal of him is great. The portrayal of him, James, Arnold yeah, James Taylor, Earl Taylor, uh, and Steve Stanton. Yeah, James Earl Taylor is really like. It's become part of that guy's identity that he is Obi Wan. Well, he yeah. did such a good job. I mean, I can point to I can point to moments. Um, I guess without spoiling some of the things he appears in, but every every major iteration of Obi Wan Kenobi has a very profound character moment that is among my favorite in the saga, and I think right up there with Ahsoka Tano um, and IG eighty eight. Obi Wan Kenobi is one of my favorite Star Wars characters for sure. Not least of which because his theme. Uh, which many of you may think of as the Force theme, that plays when Luke is looking out to two sons. That's Obi-Wan's theme. John William recorded For, that mm -hmm. to be Obi-Wan's theme. And then George Lucas was like, oh, this is way better than what you composed for the two sons. I don't like what you composed for the two sons. We're going to put this there. Uh, but I love Obi-Wan Kenobi a lot. Yeah. All right. And I am noticing that I'm talking when you say stuff and you don't talk when I say stuff, but it's no big deal. Uh, that was number what, 77? Yeah. Um. It must have been 77. Your okay. odds. Um, we'll find out at the end. Number 78, The Art of Books. 
These are books that come out with each movie. The one for Rise of Skywalker has not come out yet, though it may be out by the time this episode airs. I believe it's set to come out at the end of March 2020. And they're books that follow kind of the pre-production and the concept art behind uh, all the movies. I have the ones for all the Disney era films. And it's just very talented people letting their imagination run wild. I mean, you should see all the different kind of designs they come up with for like, what would Kylo Ren's helmet look like? What would the U-Wing in Rogue One look like? And a lot of these designs that they come up with end up being reused in, in Clone Wars or Rebels or other things like this. And it's it's just um, delightful to see such imagination well, it, on display. And I really Is love that where you Marvel learned books. that in Episode 1, um, oh my gosh, um, Sebulba at one point was the most expensive animated character of all time? Oh no, no! I'm not sure where I learned that. I thought you. Yeah, but I'm. I'm. Oh, I. I don't consume any of those like making of stuff. But no, I will say, speaking of concept art and art of episode one, uh, Ventress, I believe, is based on some concept art that came up with for Darth Maul during that. Interesting. Well, it's also like stuff like that. It, it kind of shows you when you creatively put things out there that you can kind of come back to a lot of characters so when you like throw things out mm -hmm. there and you know, might not use everything but you can always have that kind of um list or go-to of things that you can use later on which is what i think that they're doing with legends too of when they introduce different planets they can create new yeah, they can create new ones point. you know like bracket well i wonder if mm -hmm. bracket is a planet on um, on Legends or, or not. Um, yeah, I'm not 100%. Oh. But, you know, Dan Tuin's like an example. Yeah, no, well, Dan Tuin was in. All right, we just need to move on. We just need to move on. Yeah. But it's but it's cool. Like in the Rogue One one, they talk about how to come up with a U-Wing design. At one point, they were like, okay, you have to draw a spaceship and you have like one minute to do it and just keep drawing for one minute different ships. And it's just like, I don't know. It's really interesting. All right, Art of Books. Okay, um, so what number are we on now? 79. 79. All right, we definitely skipped some numbers. Um, so I'm so. on... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, music okay. at the Battle of Endor, specifically the space battle. Um, Into yeah. the trap. Um, that is... So like, good. If I had to do like a playlist, top 10, top 5 um, Star Wars soundtracks, that one easily number one or number two for me i i love i love that I'm so right much strongly recommend checking out the band galactic empire who is a heavy metal band who just does instrumental heavy metal covers of star wars oh, really? music and they have a version of into the trap oh boy oh boy i had my girlfriend hand me my wireless headphones at mile 19 of a marathon a year or two back and i just hit shuffle on my playlist and Into the Trap, the death metal version, was the first song that came on. And boy, oh boy, I did mediocre at <laughs> that marathon. But it was very cool. Oh, you, you didn't, rules. like, increase your speed? I, if I did, I decreased it significantly <laughs> later. Um, all right, so we... Number 80. 80. Yep. Luke throwing away the lightsaber at the end I of Return that. of the Jedi. You really? So for me, this is a moment that um, I never thought twice about as a kid. 
But with movies like this, uh, for me, it's Star Wars, Jaws, Jurassic Park. These are movies I've watched my whole life, and I, I, my relationship with them and my perception of them changes as I age. And it wasn't until embarrassingly recently that I really thought about, like, oh, what Luke is doing here is he's refusing to fight. And you have Obi-Wan and Yoda and the Emperor all saying, you know, kill this man. This is the only way out. Um, and it's, it's like the Gordian knot, you know? And it's like, oh, I'm not going to bother untying it. I'll cut the knot. Uh, and he, he throws it away. He refuses uh, the advice of, of the good and the evil. He, he cuts his own path and a path of pacifism. Um, and he, he wins by not fighting. And that's, I don't know, it's very profound. And the older I get, the more profound that moment is for me. Number 80, uh, throwing away that life. So number day. 81, I would say, is the Star Wars purchase, the Disney purchase of Star Wars. Um, yeah, wow. Um, you and I were together for yeah. that, too. Um, we were in a car together when that got announced. Yeah. And the one that... That's pretty cool. We were destined for The subsect, I would say, of that is it got me into Star Wars podcasting. And... Um, <laughs> and that's a what, good thing? <laughs> I, like, I listened to, for like a solid like year and a half, maybe two years, I listened to the Force cast when it was... Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I why am why am I blanking on their names? They both had the same name, which was always really awkward when they would like have a conversation with a guest because it was these two guys that had the same exact name. Um, and then another guy, his name was Justin Bolger, who actually works at Lucasfilm now. Um, he's like in the marketing oh, wow. department. He does like a couple things. Um, he was on Rebels Recon. No, he was on the Star Wars show a couple times. Um, yeah, uh, okay. and that was just kind of what got me into it. I like didn't consume like a hundred different Star Wars podcasts, but they would post very regularly, and then they would be speculating all the time because we had mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. And I can only imagine that. Yeah, but the problem I can only imagine that because when we were speculating about Resistance, we were like scraping mm-hmm. to find things. And granted, like we weren't, you know, trying to consume every single rumor out there, but to just be doing that, you know, for years and, you know, people, yeah, 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 I mean, people were like that show existed before those guys and just to be doing that over and over again, um, it just shows the level of fans that you, you know, end up being because of that. So um, that is my number 81, 81. All right, 82, Echo, the clothing company, Echo, for a while there, had uh, the Star Wars license, and they produced hoodies. I have three of them. I have a Boba Fett hoodie. It's Boba Fett armor. It's great. Uh, very high-quality stitching. Looks great. It's not just, like, printed Boba Fett armor on a hoodie. It's it's great. But I also have an X-Wing pilot hoodie, the hood of which has a little, like, goggles visor. Uh, so I do wear that to work from time to time uh, when I want to be ridiculed. And I also have a Darth Vader one. They're uh, very hip, very cool hoodies. And I remember getting that Boba Fett hoodie, and it was awesome. And then two days later, some other guy at community college also had that Boba Fett hoodie. But I was handsomer than him, I guess, I'm assuming. Who knows? Echo hoodies, they were tight. They had a Chewbacca one. It was reversible, so it was like fur like Chewbacca, but then you could reverse it, and it was just like this tight brown jacket that looked very cool, but I never got it in time. 
What a world. 82. Echo Star Wars hoodies. And I am noticing that you don't say anything when I say stuff. I just don't understand. Um, yeah, Josh, you really like your hoodies. Oh, that's a good yeah, I mean, insight! Um, I was going to make a comment about... Um, didn't you have a Halloween costume where you wore like a Boba Fett hoodie and then your girlfriend wore a Jango Fett No, that was a full Boba Fett costume, hoodie. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and my girlfriend dressed like Jango Fett. <laughs> so... So, yeah, um, that did that happen. was my comment. I was I was choosing not to say it, but um, all right, number number no, eighty three. No. I don't care. Um, Mark Hamill in um, episode eight, where he says the ancient Jedi text, but the ancient Jedi text, <laughs> the sacred <laughs> text. Um, and when you know he, he it's one of those it, it's one of those scenes where like you do something that you immediately want to take back so like you know he, he was burning down the tree and he was like <laughs> no 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 like what did i do what did i do <laughs> it's also a nice sort of echo of the same sort of buzz going on taji station because of power converters Bill sandwich yeah. attacks yeah um man that's making me change one of mine. Okay. 83. That's 83. All right. 84, I'm going to say, is Joel, Joel Aaron. Aaron. Uh, Aaron was one. A- Joel Aaron is the visual effects supervisor uh, at yeah, you've ILM. Talked about him. Uh, kind of VFX guy behind Clone Wars and Rebels and Star Wars animation. And I've talked about him before on the podcast. But again, his, his interviews and the portions of the bonus features for Clone Wars and Rebels... This guy can get into the weeds of lighting and animation and the effects in Clone Wars and Rebels, but he does it with just such passion and knowledge that it is some of the most captivating behind-the-scenes stuff I've ever seen. And I think a huge part of Star Wars is the passion that goes into every facet of the production behind it. I mean, speaking of the concept art, just, you know... The, the energy and the talent that, that goes into all of it. And I think Joel Aaron is um, very indicative of, of that kind of talent and passion and, and knowledge that goes into the making. Well, it just shows you that... Uh, and he is just one of numerous unsung heroes. Well, it also just shows you that, like, there are so many talent pe- talented people that are behind this product, which is, like, why a big reason mm-hmm. when Disney bought Star Wars is, like, they wanted ILM. So, like, when you see... Mm-hmm. You know, um, any Marvel movie that was post the Disney purchase, like there are Star Wars products and Star Wars attachments to those things because of the technology, because of the people behind it. Yeah. And I mean, my understanding is uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau met uh, at Skywalker Ranch because I think Skywalker Sound was doing the sound for the original Iron Man in 2008. So John Favreau was there in 2008 with the original Iron Man while Dave Filoni was there uh, working on very early Clone Wars. And that's how the two of them started to hang out. And it does just kind of think like, okay, everybody will rag on Phantom Menace till they're blue in the face. But like, look at the production design. Look at the costume design. Look at the art direction of that movie. And it's clear that you... Look at, look you know, at other movies around and, that and it's time, the same case too. Of any movie. Like... It just yeah. blows them out of the. It blows them out of the water. Yeah, and it, it, I, the example I always use is like, 
it's it's a it's possible for the worst movie in the world to have the best costume director in the world. There's just like so many people work on a movie, and the amount of talent and passion that go into a movie, um, you know, it's it's so much more than a director. I think we're we're so inclined to say, oh, Rise of Skywalker, J.J. Abrams, or a writer, Rise of Skywalker, Chris Terrio. Okay, but you know, J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio, you know, only had so much to do with I don't know the voice uh-huh. of Babu Frick. Or the design of the costumes of the Knights of Ren, um, you know, and things like this. And so a guy like Joel Aaron is just, uh, I think, a great example of, yeah, just the the insane amount of largely um, unheralded talent that go into a lot of these um, Star Wars stories that we see. All right, so we are at 87... 85. 85. All right, so Home 85, stretch, Biggs Darklighter. <laughs> um, Go home. Yeah, he should have stayed home. No because... one can stop us, Luke. <laughs> or what is it? They'll never stop us. <laughs> They'll Cut never to. stop us. I feel like I can take the whole empire on myself. Oh, gosh. <laughs> have you seen the deleted scenes from A New Hope that he's in? Yeah, where you like they go to the bar yeah. and then there's like this girl that basically yep. like thinks he's the biggest loser in the world <laughs> and all she wants to do is like get high with her boyfriend oh, or boy. something. Um yeah, lighter. I Yeah, um wow. He definitely like and the, the the greatest thing is like you know Biggs gets taken out and then Luke's like, "Oh, my friend's gone. Wedge, you can get out of here." <laughs> like there's nothing more you can do. Yep. I already, I already killed my best friend in the world, oh, and now I'm gonna move on from there. So, pour one out for Biggs Darkliner. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, all right, we're getting to the home stretch. I think I, I think we're at the right number here, 86. Let's see. I'm gonna go with, um, Faze Malbus from Rogue That's One. That's a good one. Um. He's a character who doesn't have a huge amount of... Um, he's not given a, a huge amount of depth in that movie. We don't get a lot of uh, idea of how, how his character ticks. Most of it is given to us through Chirrut Emway, his kind of buddy there. But I just find so many things that character says, and particularly um, his final stand against some death troopers. Oh, yeah. It... Again, you know, kind of similar to Ray catching that lightsaber just every time. Star Wars shotgun. Um, one with the Force, the Force is with me, and, and rediscovering his faith and, and going against those death troopers that have been so nefarious and lethal that whole movie, and just uh, that that actor's um, voice, and he, he, you know, he's he's a Korean actor, so you know he does not know English, but he, I don't know his 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 voice is so fantastic, his performance is so fantastic. Um, Gosh, just just a, a a great character, and so many great moments with that character. Um, very big fan, and I am blanking on the actor who portrays him, unfortunately. Uh, Jian Wen. Excellent, excellent. Because he's chi- he's Chinese. Chinese. Oh, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah, um, he's actually one of those people that um, I I watched in an interview like why did you there's there's many people that are in Star Wars. And the reason that they love being in it, and he's just one of like I I'm I'm thinking of like three four people in the in the back of my head uh-huh. right now 
they did it for their kids right. because they're yeah. like, my kids think I'm so cool now yeah. because I'm in this series. And that is one of the main reasons that because he's like a like a big 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 Chinese film star, right? Um, but has yeah, no you know director. Yeah, and um, he has no background in American film, mm. but he you know wanted to impress his kid, um, which you know a bunch of people. Um, Carrie Russell um, is the one that comes to mind right now. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's he's great. And again, Chinese actor, not Korean actor. I apologize. I, I don't know. I had in my head he was Korean for some reason, but uh, that that performance and that character, I don't. I just I, they really speak to me for whatever reason. I love it. Baze Malvitz, number eighty six. Number eighty seven, Yoda, um, the Clone Wars edition. So mm. before Clone Wars, you know, before Episode um, two and Episode three. The only portrayal we had of Yoda was, you know, the kooky old guy that was just, you know, this doll that Luke kind of ran around the swamp with and got in a fight with R2-D2 and really, really wanted, you know, these gross space snacks that Luke brought, brought along for the trip. Then we get into Clone Wars. We get into that, you know, insane battle. In episode two, we get this awesome, awesome fight scene in episode three. And then we're just getting, you know, a wide variety of Yoda being put in different situations. Um, The very first episode of Clone Wars that's on Disney Plus, but it's not the actual first episode. Or is it the actual first episode where he and he's trying to get to the the Tordarian? That's the movie, yeah. Ambush. Okay. Yeah, Ambush. You know, um, just it portrays the idea that oh this person was the head of the jedi order and that actually meant something mm-hmm. um and it's similar to you know disney um darth vader post disney purchase you know they fully fleshed him out they fully showed all of his capabilities to make you believe he is you know as powerful as they were talking about yeah yeah for sure yeah he, he's he doesn't have a huge presence in Clone Wars, similar to Mace Windu. But um, previous previous to the seventh season, when it was just you know seasons one through five in the Lost Missions, he did bo- uh, bookend the series. He was in the first episode, and then the last arc deals of season six deals heavily with Yoda. But yeah, we do get some some cool character stuff with him there. Um, and I did just double check, and we are on track to hit hundred when we're supposed to hit hundred. Uh, Eighty-eight. I'm going to go, this is a new addition to the list. Pete, you picked Ahsoka and I picked Ahsoka, so I had to pick something new. And I'm going to go with um, Ray and, with an assist from Luke's, explanation of the Force in The Last Jedi. We have, I think, okay. the big explanations of the Force, in my mind, come from Episode 4, Obi-Wan explains the Force to Luke. Episode 7, you have Maz Kanata explaining the Force to Ray, And then Episode 8... You have Ray on the rocks meditating and going through the forest with Luke, and uh, she talks about you know life and death and uh, and the cycle of all of that. And uh-huh. Luke walks her through it and, and says, "Don't you see? This is so much bigger than the Jedi or Sith, and for the Jedi to claim ownership of it is vanity." And it's a very um, worldly view of of the Force as a whole, and the Ryan Johnson's um, presentation of it which is not necessarily traditional Star Wars style. I mean, it goes, you know, the camera goes underground and shows his bones, it shows smashed eggs. It's a, it's a weird kind of montage that you wouldn't think would fit into Star Wars. But that explanation of the Force, 
uh, I think is very compelling. Uh, very it's energy, moving. energy. Hmm. Uh, nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I I didn't hate the the explanation that um Luke gives. I think I'm more upset of that scene of like wanting Get to forked. know more of Luke leaving the Jedi Order. Um, but I can I can definitely see why you would like that scene as much as you do. Um, but yeah. it's actually a good bookend to my next one. So we're on 89, which is by far my favorite part of rise of Skywalker, which is the be with me scene Mm. that Ray has, Mm. um, the, you know, Kylo has, sorry, Ben has just been thrown to his, um, you know, presumed death, although it's star Wars. So he's obviously not dead at that point. Mm Um, and you know, just going to the very first scene, of her meditating saying be with me and then just having all of those jedi that you have been having these connections to for the last you know 40 years um and that's the thing that i know that you only saw rise of Skywalker walker twice i saw it five times yeah um that was the thing i look forward to the most okay. each and every single time like Oh, now am I going to hear Kanan? Now I'm going to hear Ahsoka. Yeah. Now I'm going to hear Aelis Sakura for some unknown reason. Um, Adi Galia. Adi Galia. And um, just that part um, gave me goosebumps. Is like as we're doing this, um, the digital copy of Episode Nine is out. Um, yeah, Blu-ray should be coming out here shortly. And. And that's going to be the scene I'm going to watch over. And I guarantee I'm going to get goosebumps nice. as soon as I um, see that again. Uh, number 90. Um, what to pick here? What to pick here? The bongo sub. I What's that? The bongo sub. Well, Pete, um, can you think of literally more than one sub in Star Wars? <laughs> The bongo sub. I mean, process We're of a... elimination, right? It's a oh, sub oh. they get in episode one. Oh, that's what that's called? <laughs> yeah, it's called the bongo sub. And I did verify that it's actually called bongo, because I was like, there's no way it's called the bongo sub. It's that, was bongo sub. Those, that was one of those um, Lego sets that I was like... God, I wish I had gotten I, it. I, I wanted it, but mm-hmm. I also... like Legos... I, I mean, I'm sure they're still like this. There was like the hundred dollar set, and then there's like the thirty dollar set, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that was a hundred dollar set. And I'm like, oh, wow. I've got money for like one hundred dollar set every other year, right? And I just could never find myself to get it. But I always, I always wanted that as a kid. Yeah, they re-released a set of it, like a much more manageable, like a forty dollar something set of it. But it was after I had stopped. Um, buying Legos and it sold all my Legos, but the design of it's very cool. I like that it looks like a kind of a manta ray or a stingray, and I enjoy that whole sequence. Um, though it is always weird to me that the same creature saves them twice instead of perpetually larger creatures saving them from each other creature. He's like, oh, there's always a bigger fish, but there's not always a bigger fish. It's just always a big fish. It's the same big thing both times. It's not like a bigger one. It's the same big thing. fish. Also. Nope. The Ewan McGregor movie. Nope. Oh, okay. And is um, something I'd recommend. 
once you are done with all your Star Wars, because we are continuing. We are the with, final countdown, Pete. We are at 91. And I really feel bad that I didn't. It makes it seem like these last 10 are, you know, more important than the others. But this one's going to be very quick. Blue Milk, number <laughs> 91. So over to you, number 92. Uh, all right, number 92. There is a series of books by J.W. Rinsler, uh, The Making of Star Wars, The Making of Empire Strikes Back, The Making of Return of the Jedi. And in the making, of, and this is with full access to the Lucasfilm archives, and in the making of the Empire Strikes Back book, there is a portion of it that Irvin Kirshner, the director of Empire Strikes Back, they just mic'd him for a morning on set. And they transcribed the conversations he had. So it is a transcript of Irvin Kirshner showing up on set the morning that they are going to shoot the scene where Han is frozen in carbonite. And uh, and Carrie Fisher comes up to him on set. Harrison Ford coming up to him on set. Everyone's coming up to him on set. Everyone wants something from him. He is getting so deep into the weeds on the sequence. Like, he is having a discussion about, like, well, why, why is Leia even here? Why does Darth Vader want Leia here? We need to figure this out. And it's just... It's the single best piece of behind-the-scenes content I've uh, ever come across. It's fascinating. If you're in, into movie making or, or anything like that, you got to get your hands on it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and, and that is in the making of the Empire Strikes Back book, uh, the, the transcript of Irvin Kirshner showing up on set. Absolutely and he, fantastic. He, he was the direct... Wait, I thought he was the... He's the director for episode two, right? Or Sorry, um, for Empire Strikes Back? Correct. Okay. Um, and then George Lucas was New Hope, and then was considered to also be Return of the Jedi. Uh, yeah, Return of the Jedi was driven by Richard Marquand, but there is sort of a notion, however realistic it is, I don't know, that George Lucas was was kind of uh, overbearing on that one. Oh, okay. Um, so number ninety three. Yep. 93, Reformed Kylo, Ben Solo. Hmm. Where um, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, Adam Driver developed a sense of humor. He got... Yeah, he's allowed to make jokes now. He got the addition of that awesome theme of the Kylo and Rey theme thrown together. Um, I need to go back and listen to that score. He... Um, forgets that he can use the force at certain points when he like jumps um, onto, you know, the elevator that's not there anymore. When, you know, we've seen multiple characters can just fall down with the force. He's kind of forgetting that Mm -hmm. Um, there's that uh, scene with Han and Ben, um, which is just in his head or is Han Han actually, yeah, I mean, Ray talks about his memory of that haunting him, so I think yeah. it's an extrapolation of that. Okay, um, but definitely one of the the highlights of Rise of Skywalker is the reformation of Kylo Ren. Yeah, and I, you know, it's also one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, I wish maybe there had been a little more with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ninety four. I did have one thing that was very profound, but we already sort of talked about it, so I'm switching it out for another thing that's very stupid, which is uh, we talked about the Episode Nine trailer. The first one ends with Palpatine's laugh. Okay. Uh, on YouTube, 
somebody, I apologize, I don't know who, I'm not a YouTube guy, uh, re-edited it so that the laugh at the end of the trailer is Jeff Goldblum's laugh on the helicopter in Jurassic <laughs> Park, where he goes, It's good, it's good, and I love Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he will be in Star Wars. He isn't yet, but he will be. Just you wait. Just he definitely he definitely belongs to the Mandalorian. Oh yeah, I can see that. I yeah. Can see that. All right, so I'm on number ninety five. Yes, and we are at two and a half hours. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, ninety five. This is a shout out to a group of people on Twitter that we have. Oh. For some, um, for some reason have become ingratiated with. They're on our timeline a lot. So they are filtering a lot of how I'm seeing Star Wars, especially on Twitter, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, is the Raylos um, out there, the people that are big, big supporters of Ray and Kylo having that happy ending, that sweet, sweet kiss. They pushed... Um, Josh into writing that fanfic, which is there now Lucasville or some sort of continuity is trying to claim was platonic or something. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Oh, really? That's insane. He was weird. I don't know. I who knows? I could have read the wrong thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's they're a lot of fun. It's that subsect of the fandom. It's just interesting to see you know the different people that um, are so so invested in that. Um, it's very cool seeing the fan art. Um, it's super cool seeing, you know, the interactions that Raylos have online. It's, I'm sad that, you know, it's gotten so negative, um, and they weren't given, you know, the episode nine that they wanted, but it's definitely a community that I had zero idea existed Mm -hmm. until the fanfic and has been something, you know, group that I'm, I'm glad that we ended up doing that fanfic. Uh, and being a little bit of part of it, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of similar to the Mando Mercs. It's just it's a group that I I'm not a part of. I mean, I'm not a Raylo, I'm not a Mando Merc, but um, their their passion is infectious, and it 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 always brightens my day to see some of the um, incredibly sensual fan art that they <laughs> make and and things like that. I really appreciate all the creativity they put out there into the world. It's very cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that Raylos are on our list of 100 Star Wars ever alive or dead. Um, 96. I've got three left here. 96. Dave Filoni. Uh, oh, Dave yeah. He's the executive producer, supervising director of Clone Wars Rebels. He's sort of the masterminds of those things. He's one of the minds behind The Mandalorian. Um, in kind of rediscovering Star Wars and, and growing into my fandom of Star Wars interviews with him and hearing him talk about star wars uh and the clone wars bonus features and at at panels at comic-con each year where they would debut the trailer for the next season of clone wars and stuff uh really inflamed my uh my passion for the universe and for the show and just the the care that that he puts into it Uh, he he is uh the heir apparent to george lucas and he is he has yet to disappoint me and it's just, uh, he has earned, through his thoughtful storytelling, and, and, and he, he has earned no, no shortage of goodwill from me. Um, 
and yeah, I don't know. I love the guy. He's done things in shows that I'm just like, that's so stupid. And then he does it, and I give him the benefit of the doubt, and he, he always he always is there to, to meet me halfway. Uh, I think he is up there with the likes of Bruce Springsteen and Trent Reznor, oh. uh, people oh that God. I would meet and be very, very nervous about. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I've always said, and you just groan every time I say this, because Dave Filoni went to the oh college that's like 15 minutes away from where I am right now. Yeah, um, something to talk about. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I always be like, did you go to the same pop pop course that I did when oh. you were in college? Um, like, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> um, which, you know... We've, I mean, we've talked about it to a creepy extent of like how we would talk to him, how we would ingratiate ourselves with him. Um, but I'm, I'm glad, you know. I would just cry and say, "Please don't make fun of me. Please don't make fun of me." Which is not even really in his. I mean, that's not really how he interacts with fans. No, I know. on an interpersonal basis. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite I just moments need him with to Dave. Do anything but make fun of me, though. One of my favorite moments of Dave is. When we were at the Rebels panel for Star Wars Celebration mm-hmm. Orlando, where they announced that it was ending, and then he had a shirt change. Yep. Where he had the Ahsoka Lives question mark, Ahsoka yeah. Lives exclamation point. Um, and we didn't even realize that because we were so bummed that everything was happening. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave is a great, great choice. Um, of my yeah. ones I have left, I only like one of them. So okay, um, well, and I just want to throw in real quick. Also, just outside of Star Wars, another thing. Like he seems like a good guy. He seems like he got a good head on his shoulders. Um, he did a speech at the National Center for Women in Information Technology. Fantastic, good speech. Talks. Of, uh, I don't know. I just I have a very link in big, the description. Uh, very big. If you are going to put it there, it will be, but you probably won't. So it probably won't be. But you can just Google that. Uh, yeah, got a big old crush on Dave Filoni. Okay. 97! We are closing in! Stay on target. Oh, 97. Stay on target. Okay. Um, so I have, I have two left, but I got a fan um, submission, and I'm going to go with that. Um, fan submission. And this is the versatility in genre that Star Wars has. Is that what um, the fan mission is? And you'll never get me to admit that. And so, by versatility and genre, um, you know, Star Wars has started adding spin-off movies. You know, we have Rogue One, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. Solo, and, you know, we have, like, a heist movie. We have a change in different tones, the ability to have comedy, but also have... Um, seriousness have you know levity but then also have the stakes be very very high as just something that i and by proxy somebody else has really enjoyed about star wars 97 clone Clone wars and animation is a particularly good example of that um clone wars did a, a number of episodes that were homages to to all sorts of things be they thrillers or, I mean, we already made a joke earlier about the Lost Lightsaber episode of Clone Wars, which is a, a clear homage to a Akira Kurosawa film, Stray Dog. 
Um, oh, and yeah. and we that episode of the Mandalorian. We watched an episode together of the Mandalorian. Right, right. The one that Bryce Dallas Howard directed. Right, which is the second episode to be based on another Kurt Kurosawa film, Seven Samurai. Yeah, and they've done they've done murder mystery episodes. They've done comedic episodes. They've done heist ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Ninety eight, ATATs. Oh, all right. The That's I I. You didn't do my mine, so I'm like very very happy. Good. The <laughs> first Star Wars movie I saw, I was at my grandparents' house for Christmas or the summer. I don't know. You gra- they had they had, they had Star Wars. No. I was being bratty and bored, and my parents were like, I don't know, show them Star Wars or something. So I went to Blockbuster, and we got what looked like Star Wars, I guess. We put it in, and uh, it was a movie with a robot scorpion. Oh, the, um, the Scorpion King robot. with um, no, The Rock. this was like 1995. Um, and so we're like, well, that's not Star Wars. And we went back, and we got Empire Strikes Back. My parents are not Star Wars fans. You know, we just grabbed whatever. So Empire Strikes Back was the first Star Wars movie I saw. And I remember enjoying it, but I mean, the main thing I remember is the AT-ATs looked like dinosaurs. And I was very into dinosaurs, and so I was very into AT-ATs. And so the first Star Wars thing I ever got was a micro-machine AT-AT. Um, and then at some point, I was probably six, and there was like an older kid. Uh, we were hanging out at the gazebo, and I guess he was very into micro-machines. I don't know, he was probably ten. Uh-huh. He's like, I will trade you my X-wing, like my action figure-sized X-wing, for your ATAT micro machine. And I was like, okay. Oh. I don't believe you, but okay. And then he did, and I got a action figure-sized X-wing. And my mom was like, where'd you get that X-wing? And I was like, I don't know, trade it for some camera ATAT. Number ninety-eight ATAT. All right, so um, number ninety-nine. Oh my gosh, we're gonna make it. Number 99 is Little Yanni. (laughs) Little Yanni is um, basically saving the Disney Plus format by his little self. (laughs) Um, This is a secret that um, scumbag of the year of Jon Favreau was able to keep, um, which kudos to him. Um, The Little Yanni merch. Also, we should add... Was able to keep in large part due to our efforts. We could have told you at any point, but we decided not to because we are gentlemen, even though John Favreau is a thorn in our neck. Yeah, so little Yanni, you know, um, who is part of the Mandos clan. A.K.A. Baby Yaddle. Baby Yoda. Um, is just this, like, every time the character does anything, that's like... <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, Yanni. It's something. Yeah, it, just the visceral reaction little Yanni gets out of me when y- little Yanni's sipping on his soup, when y- little yeah. Yanni's eating that frog, when y- little Yanni's getting made fun of for eating another frog. <laughs> um, Very curious about the concept art behind that, because I guarantee you there are many, many iterations of baby little Yanni before they landed on that one. And I do think the main thing is the all-black giant eyes, because Yoda does not have black eyeballs. Mm-hmm. But Yanni just has giant black eyes. And I think that's the that's the big one. And also that little Yanni is fifty years old, so yeah, just that goes a long 
um, you know, how how long are they in adolescence? Um, yeah. Like, clearly, it takes, in 50 years, you still can't even talk. Although they've never really, yeah. ta- you know, tried to have a conversation with him. They just assumed he's a baby. Maybe he'll have, like, um, a very deep voice when that ends up coming to fruition. And I am looking at pictures now, and yes, I know he doesn't actually have just giant black eyes. He has big irises and big pupils, and they're like brown eyes, and there's a little bit of white there. But he effectively has shark eyes, and you know it. All right. Bring us home, Josh. You ready? Number 100? Star Wars ever? Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. Number 100. If I... I'm driving, and I rolled down the uh, passenger side rear window of my car, and just that window, and I hit the right speed, and the way the wind and the air goes in the car, it sounds like Sebulba's pod racer. Oh my gosh, Josh, that's what you decide to be a hundred. No! Hundred Star Wars ever alive or dead. Um, <laughs> if you listen to all of this, two hours and forty one minutes, they didn't email like, truly? us. Your, email no us. No one did. Email us your favorite one from each of the tens. Yeah, and sure. you'll get a prize. Um, I might even I might even Venmo you, honestly. Um, congr- <laughs> <laughs> congratulations, um, truly, on doing this. Um, Boy, two hundredth episode is gonna be really long. Well, we can go. We'll go through those a lot quicker. Yeah, I don't think we will. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, um, <laughs> have the title be. Hashtag shut up po boys. Um, and you can email yes. us at poboyspodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter and mm-hmm. Instagram are at poboyspodcast. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Um, Thanks for listening, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>